Hello there. You're listening to the Quarter to Three Movie <laughs> Podcast for Iron Man Three. <laughs> uh, my name is Tom Chick. I am here this week with Christian Moltransky. It's Moroski Rocks with an X, all caps. <laughs> and with our Iron Man Three official tagline, Kelly Wand. Uh, it's like RoboCop. The TV commercials are serious. Fuck you, Chick. You sucked on The Office. I didn't believe you were gay for a second, faggot. That's hate speech. Explicit tag in three, two, one. That sounded that sounded a little bit like that guy Z Bone who uh, posts who yeah. arrives from Metacritic and posts in various reviews and and blog posts at quarter to three. Is that Z Bone? Yeah, he takes <laughs> quite interest in your orientation. That way, Pain and was Bay's best since Armageddon. Tit liquor. <laughs> I related all those characters. Fuck you, chick. Wait, is is Tit liquor a insult? He, I I I don't know. Who can, I, I can't. He stormed out again. <laughs> uh, dingus to quote uh, Moonlight Kingdom, as I called it once. Who can say? <laughs> That's deep. Because who can say? I know. I know. It's rhetorical. Uh, let's see. So, uh, Kelly, one. How many times have you seen the trailer for Lone Ranger? <laughs> Half of one, and then I zoned out. They are setting themselves up, I feel, when the trailer, and I'm presuming therefore the movie, seems to consist entirely of a series of train wrecks. Yeah, it's a thing about a train, and I'm going, oh, this doesn't look too bad, and then Johnny Depp sticks his head out of the bottom of the train, I went, oh, this doesn't look that good. <laughs> well, just think what you could do with those headlines, you know, just... At a euphemism? Were trains uh, I- like a thing where, like, you know, wasn't it just take one train ten years to cross the... Uh, the Sierra Nevadas back in the day? Only if you were building the rails in front of it as you went, which happens in some westerns. When I tell you at Victoria, too, we'll see, won't we? Because it's 19th century, and I'm as smart as any 19th century human. Uh, Kelly Wan, what level of railroad do you have? Uh, I got two, so that's 50 bucks. Already stumped you. Awesome. What? It's not about trains. It's about naval power. That's what... Victoria, because it was an island. Very good. Yes, Victoria <laughs> Island. It's an That's island off of off of the coast of Vancouver. That's actually true. See, <sighs> see what I got you. Uh, all right, let's talk. Uh, let's let's talk a bit about this week's uh, movie. Was there any other trailer talk? By the way, I watched a trailer for a Sarah Pauly documentary. Uh, that'll that'll really bring them out. That will really that'll grab the listeners. People, if we do. If we do a podcast on Sarah Pauly's upcoming documentary, which I think is called something like, um, hey, what do you want to know about me? It's, it's like something <laughs> like that. It's got some title like that. I can't think of the so title. It's Joaquin Phoenix thing. Uh, you know what? It is, Kelly Wan. That's a very good, except except serious. Is it? Is Terry Gilliam in it? Because she apparently is pissed at him or something. Oh, what did Terry Gilliam do to poor little Sarah Pauly? She fell victimized on the set of Baron Munchausen when she was a kid. And then he was like, what? So now I'm going to rebuttal. <laughs> I really like your impression of Terry Gilliam. That really does it for me. Uh, yeah, that is Sarah are they going to get to play him? They're not offered a part. They just make a movie about themselves. That seems to be the thing. 
Uh, it did, by the way, uh, I'm sure much to Dingus's chagrin, have the, the theme song that plays at the end of Last Exorcism Part 2, which, Kelly Wan, you and I liked. Dingus didn't understand it. But the song that's used at the end of that movie is in the trailer for the Sarah Pauly movie, so it's got that going for it. Well, since she ran for vice president, she just is on Facebook all the time. So... I don't understand most of what you just said. Sarah Polly, I should have done that joke though first because I already the Munchausen one would have. Then I would. Have. Hey, well, speaking of jokes, I, I saw Guilt Trip. <laughs> what do you think of that? Oh wait, did you already tell me this? <laughs> Guilt Trip. This so the the funny thing about Guilt Trip is you're supposed to think that Barbara Streisand is really annoying, and that Seth Rogen is you know it's they play wait, a mother. Well, they play a mother and son, and Seth Rogen feels bad for her. So he's like, hey, come on this road trip across America with me. Um, and it's supposed to be about, oh, it's so crazy having your annoying mother. But he's the annoying one, and he's a real jerk. The movie's trying to make it look like she's like annoying. She's actually adorable. I don't think I've seen Barbara Streisand movies yeah. before. She's like, I, I'm like, wow, she's this cool chick, and they're trying to make her seem annoying and unreasonable, and she's like, she's just cute, is what I kept thinking. She was originally pitched to us as hot, like, ah, oh, look, hopefully Ryan and Neil get to have sex with that. <laughs> but it's just, I, I guess, I don't know if that's how it was when in the in the earlier movies when she was younger. That's but because just, the, the the audience for that movie is probably going to be the Streisanders, so the old people, so they want to see Rogan as the annoying one, because no one Seth Rogan's age is going to go in and go. Oh, because cool. I thought it was, I was expecting it for me, like a, a sort of a, a no. Seth Rogan <laughs> stoner comedy for, you know, guys my yeah. age, like Pineapple <laughs> Express, but instead of James Franco, you get you get Barbara Streisand, uh, and it, it, yeah, it didn't work that way. I mean, it's a so horrible movie. Yeah. It's a terrible movie, but good lord, is she adorable. It, it made me appreciate her appeal. Why'd you watch the whole movie? You're so fucking weird. Kelly Wan, I will watch... That's not all... I'll, I've seen so many things lately that are just awful, and I am not ashamed of but it. But you opened with that one, which is fascinating to me. Just because that was the revelation. It's, you know what? Holy, Wait. holy cats, this is why Barbara Streisand is famous. That was like my revelation for that. I've also watched other crappy movies that contained no such revelation. Okay, that's a that's a hint. Sorry. <laughs> the way we were. No. Wait, one last guilt trip thing. They, yes. it, the, the reason I didn't, I, it sounded fun when you first said, "Hey, they go across the road together," and I thought, "Oh, cannibalism or something." But then when I saw the trailer, it's, it looks like they kind of have fun on the trip. And then I went, "Fuck that!" I want to see. That yeah, movie. they do, they definitely do. Yeah, eh, not so. interested. I don't go to and, movies for fun. It's also it's not it's not a planes, trains, and automobiles kind of road trip. Like it's not where everything's constant. I mean, they have their share of mishaps, but for the most part, it goes pretty smoothly. They get along. They have one breakdown near the end so that they can have a reconciliation. What about the car? Is the car? Is the car? JK. I don't even remember. It, the car might have been some like. No, it's like, a breakdown joke. You didn't get my joke. Like the yeah, car hustle joke. Yeah, like oh, like, damn it! JT Walsh comes along. Ah, dingus. <laughs> Uh, all right, so uh, what have what have you guys seen? Have any of you guys seen Upstream Color yet? Because Dad Gummit, I loved that. What? It's the the Shane Carruth movie, the guy that did Primer. Oh. His second movie. Another movie I didn't see. Give me another one. Throw me a bone of something I know. All right, have you seen Kiss of the Damned, directed by a woman named Zan uh, uh, Cassavetes? She is the daughter of John Cassavetes and Jenna Rollins, and she made an 80s style, like Italian horror movie style, uh, vampire movie with some really kind of hot sex in it early on. Anyone see that? No? <laughs> so it's like The Hunger, but the opposite. Oh, very good, Kelly. It, you know what? I, it's Yeah, it's definitely like a latter-day hunger, 
but shot to look like those 80s horror movies. Yeah. And the problem is, all like there are three actresses featured very prominently in it, none of whom can really speak English without mangling it, and it, it sort of therefore impacts their acting ability. Like I think you have it's Plus difficult. They have fangs in their mouths, which is that, that makes it right. The fangs make it hard enough, but being unable to speak the language very well also makes it difficult to do a performance. Or better sometimes, because Arnie he had a weird accent, so we go, oh, oh. yeah, he's Conan because he sounds like he's and he's a machine because they fucked up his voice better. <laughs> but then, for instance, in that that movie, The Last Stand, no, he's the sheriff in a small Arizona town. Like that's gonna fly. Oh yeah, you saw that too. You you have so much time to see the dumbest shit. <laughs> So well, me and Dingus. Yes. Yeah, we watched. Speaking of dumb stuff, Dingus <laughs> and I last night rewatched. I was watching it, and Dingus sort of uh, hung out. And the thing is, I don't watch these entirely. I'm doing other stuff. So Dingus and I were just doing some work, and we watched Kelly Wand. And I think you would be proud of us. Capricorn One. Ah, oh. boy, is that awful. What? <laughs> Fuck you! You're crazy. OJ Simpson. <laughs> rules oh. it's hold up though i remember thinking that actually last time i saw it like i was a little bummed that it didn't hold up well let's check with dingus dingus how well does capricorn one hold up had he seen it when he was a kid dingus. oh yeah dingus, oh yeah we all three know it as kids and i think we all three had fond memories of it but dingus how well does capricorn one hold up i would watch sam larson deliver a joke like that over and over again <laughs> it's such a weird joke too <laughs> And, and the I guy in the copter gets to hear the whole joke. The guy waiting to kill him. He's, hump- <laughs> he's humping a mountain while he does it. Right, right. He's climbing a cliff, and it looks like a super real climb, too. It's a really good movie, isn't it? Except for the Elliot Gould stuff, which is just exposition. Which is half, which is actually not even half. It's like two-thirds of the movie, it feels like. Because, I mean, they're so, because it's so just painfully bad. They're trying to do this real snappy, witty, His Girl right. Friday type dialogue back and forth. Elliot Gould and, and Karen Black. Elliot Gould and the guy who plays Bosley on Charlie's Angels. And it's just awful. I remember that guy hates him, though. It's his boss. And he, isn't he funny? Like, he was like, oh, I, I just fired you. And he just keeps saying it over and over again. You know, so Dingus had walked out of the room at one point, and I made him sit and watch that entire scene for just how painfully awful it was. Why don't they just kill him, though, instead of planting coke in his bathroom, in his medicine cabinet? Like, they kill everyone else, just make someone disappear while he's having pool with them. You know, Dingus asked that question. The reason they do not kill Elliot Gould in Capricorn 1 once they know that he's on to the plot. And for folks listening who haven't seen Capricorn 1, this is how, of course... (laughs) I apologize. Well, no, the the, the premise of Capricorn 1 is that the, the Mars landing was faked. (laughs) <laughs> the Mars landing that didn't really happen in RL was faked. <laughs> and so Elliot Gould is is hip to this. By the way, speaking of adorable, not only Barbara Streisand, uh, Brenda Vaccaro. Yeah, she's, I think she's I think fun. of so many of these actresses as like older women, and they play matriarchs and whatnot. But you go back and you see Brenda Vaccaro in Capricorn One, which is I don't know seventy seven, and I'm like, holy cats! No wonder people love her. She's just she's adorable. Yeah. Um, and there's and a Barbara Streisand Cap- connection to Capricorn One as well, isn't there? Plenty of people mar- who had been married to Barbara Streisand, Dingus told, tells me, are in Capricorn One. Yeah, but wait, I wanted to I wanted to uh, explain to Kelly Wan's supposed plot hole about Capricorn One because it is, of course, an airtight movie. Uh, the yeah. reason Kelly Wan they don't um, kill Elliot Gould is because they're more interested in discrediting him. Then he's just, already lost his job. Everyone. Well, thinks I, I don't understand why he he gets and and put in jail and immediately let out of jail. Yeah, <laughs> because, like, because, because, because we have due process in America. <laughs> they kill everyone. <laughs> they kill NASA scientists. No problem. 
while he's uh, in the room with them. And then the, uh, they can't. They have cops with guns in his apartment, and they can't like make a. Shelly, well, this is before Guantanamo. In a pre-Guantanamo world, it's a very different process. When I saw that at age nine, though, that made total, I didn't think of that. I feel really stupid now. Like I saw that movie so many times, I didn't go, "Wait, why is he alive?" Kylan, you probably weren't a very bright nine-year-old. Yeah, not all nine-year-olds or even eight-year-olds will put up with plot inconsistencies, as we will find out. <laughs> Let's get into that. So, Dingus, what did we see besides Capricorn One this week? <laughs> all right, besides Capricorn One, uh, we saw another movie that has a number in it. And uh, this week we saw Iron Man, T-H-R-E-E. Mm. That's how it's spelled when you see it on screen. Uh, Iron Man, T-H-R-E-E, a 2013 action-adventure sci-fi American superhero comic book movie. <laughs> What's that mean? <laughs> it means it's hot. Comic books? Oh. What? <laughs> so you're just doing it after anything, basically. <laughs> I mean, you're right. About an Avenger suffering from anxiety attacks. <laughs> it was directed by Shane Black and written by him with Drew Pierce, based on the comic book work of Stan Lee, Don Heck, Larry Lieber, and Jack Kirby. On <laughs> <laughs> Tom. Or as Tom would say. Uh, it stars Robert Downey Jr., Gwyneth Paltrow, James... <laughs> Badge Dale, mm. Stephanie Jostak. Uh, there's not her, the other one. <laughs> Dale Dickey and Ty Simpkins. Don't. What? Oh. <laughs> what? Come on. That's not cool. Say your name. Iron Man T-H-R-E-E is rated PG-13 for intense sci-fi action and violence throughout mm-hmm. and brief suggestive content. <laughs> <laughs> I always hear a phrase I've never heard before every week. They come with a new thing to explain the number 13 to us. Uh, Iron Man 3 is the number two uh, highest grossing opening weekend of all time. So Avengers came out uh, and sort of smashed all these records, got I think like $207 on its opening weekend. Uh, Iron Man 2 has officially displaced one of those silly Harry Potter movies and is now the number two opening of all time with 175 million uh, opening weekend. And it's just domestic. You know, worldwide, it's going to be another movie that hits a billion in no time. Um, but it's opening weekend, 175 million. It is now the number two biggest opening of all time. Damn. Now, if we look at uh, Metacritic. This is the uh, average rating from various reviews. Uh, Iron Man 3 is at 62. If you look at Rotten Tomatoes, which gives you the percentage of reviews that are positive, Iron Man 3 is at 79%. So 21% of the reviews of Iron Man 3 were like, nah, I don't think so. Hey, the rest uh, of them were like, yeah, cool, go see it. Yes, Kelly Wand. I have a Metacritic score of 55 Oh, right, because if you're, like, an actor or if you've written uh, on a game or a movie or something, you can look at the score of the, all the things you've worked on. And, Kelly Wan, you clock in at what? At 55, you 55. said? 55. Well, I give myself a hard 62. Uh. But it was only one thing I worked on and nothing else is on there. I know I had to do my own thing, my own profile. I prefer oh, you like, like, like you're supposed to do the math for your own Metacritic number? Or write it? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I didn't add any stuff. Uh, Kelly, on what is Dingus's Metacritic rating? Oh, I didn't look it up. Okay. I am number four. 
Uh, so, Kelly Wan, speaking of numbers four and below, why don't you give us a, oh, I don't know, what you uh, maybe a, a sort of a, a detailed recounting of the events of Iron Man 3. What, what would you call such a thing, Kelly Wand? Well, the word for that doesn't exist yet. We should come up with it now. Let's invent it's it. Dictionary in 2000, whatever next year is. Okay, Kelly Wand, let me open a little user submission page for Urban Dictionary. All oh, right, what am I, I going to type in here? What am I going to uh, call this? Hashtag Gerard Butler. <laughs> oh, I see. What you're, I forgot we were talking about something. Uh, Iron Man Cubopsis, because I pretend it was cubed like Alien. Ah, very good. Like, if you just scooched up that number three enough, yeah. uh, although it's Dingus pointed out it's been written, but if it was a numeral, an Arabic numeral, and you just <laughs> and not written. scooched it up a bit, then it would be Iron Man Cube. So the Iron Man Cubopsis, Kelly Wand, drive it like you stole it. He's <laughs> your very good friend. <laughs> Iron Man Cubopsis. Oh, there's some trailer thing in Things I heard during the Superman trailer before Iron Man 3. Hold on, while you say that, I'm like this. La 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 that's one way to look at it. I overheard it from the screen, but we could have been from the audience, too. Hmm. What's the S stand for? Oh, my mom sewed that on. She's senile. It's not an S. It's actually Kryptonian for Prince. Oh, I thought it stood for super, and then he farts and blows out the microphone in the trailer. Can't wait to see the Zucker Brothers treatment of the Superman movie. <sighs> I think it's a year old, too. It's like a year old trailer that they whip back out. Anyway. All right. Yeah, so good. Glad to hear that. So uh, now let's get back to the Iron Man Cuba. Oh, right, right. Sorry. <laughs> Things I wrote after watching Iron Man 3 in 3D. Iron Man's voice is all. Someone something once said, y'all got a demon, y'all. Actually, I'm just freaked out because I fell through the air in New York City a year ago. But after the opening credits, my third movie all started in Switzerland at Science Fest 99. <sighs> that was me, not the synopsis. Uh, <laughs> Hey, honey, ever done an elevator with a bunch of extras? Ha <laughs> something witty. Tony, please, I'm a botanist. Favreau's there. He's all, badges, people, come on. Flushed him down the toilet. <laughs> Crikey, Mr. Stock, I made this T-shirt with an acronym on it. Here's me cod. Meet me on the roof later, eh? Don't know your schedule, and I have no credentials except me shirt here. But clearly you're not in the middle of anything. Here's a card for you too, miss, just in case you're a billionaire. Robert Downey Jr.'s all, Oh, thanks, but I don't tolerate the socially awkward, except for John Favreau. Fuck off. All right, I'll still wait up there just in case, though. All night long. Fight a nickel for every roof with the guy in a t-shirt on it. Oh, wait, I do. Tom? I can't yes. read that right now. I mean... Hmm. Yeah, we are getting we are getting mic noise. It sounds like you're standing in a wind tunnel. Yeah, are, are you on the back of a high, uh, like a clipper ship? What's going on? <laughs> are you on the poop deck, Kelly Wan? That's what we're wanting to know. All right, tell me if you hear it now. Now, how about now? We do not. No, was what was going on? It was a fan. It's hot in here. Jesus. Yeah, you cannot blow a fan into your mic. That, that tends to uh, affect the sound quality. Can I start over? <laughs> 
Uh, just give it to us from uh, the uh, if I had a nickel joke. <laughs> All right. You let it this out? So, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> All right. Drive it like you stole it, Kelly One. All right. Guy Pierce says Australian things. And then Robert Downey Jr. says, I'll fight a nickel for every roof with the guy in a T-shirt on it. Oh, wait, I do. Ha ha. Something witty. With great wealth comes your business card stock. Ha ha. How'd that sound? Except for the uh, words. The brunette's all, hmm. I wouldn't pensively ponder a business card some fuckwad foisted on me in an elevator ordinarily, but it is the third movie in a comic book franchise, and shit gets super convoluted later, so my flashbacks don't need to make sense. Or is this Tony's flashback because he's telling all this to a sleeping Hulk? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you tipped your hand early. (laughs) I'm like a young Seal Award kind of, huh? Wow. (laughs) She added. They go to the hotel room. She's all, wow, who's the tubby with the mullet who keeps following us? Robert Danny Jr.'s all, oh, that's John Favreau. He directed the first two movies, so we just sort of keep him around like Stan Lee. In the comics, he's like head of security or some shit. I thought his name was Dum Dum Dugan, but that might have been his name in Daredevil as Ben Affleck's flunky. forgot about that. He's done this before, hasn't he? Yeah, they just keep reciting the same actors and we're supposed to pretend. <laughs> oh, yeah, we've seen this Evans before. Don't worry, someone will explain it all in a forum thread. She's all, I thought Don Cheadle was your head of security. He's all, yeah, I know. Anyway, in the second movie, Favreau was depicted as bumbling and incompetent next to Scarlett Johansson's ass, but I still promote him. Hopefully in this movie he redeems himself as a badass and my character doesn't look like a nitwit, huh? Fabro puts some sunglasses on and goes, Sir, I've secured the perimeter. Sector clear. They're all, yeah, thanks there, Favro. She's all, anyway, this is my hotel room. Although since I'm staying the night, I converted into a greenhouse. See, Tony, since I'm a botanist. <laughs> uh, since I'm a botanist, I injected this marijuana plant here with some volcano CG, so it's legal. At least on Hawaii. Want some? Hey, Favro, I need to put it in a pipe first. She doesn't like CG'd. Favreau's all, oh, sorry, and kicks the plant over and snaps a bunch of branches and farts on. She's all, uh, Tony, is he just going to hang out here while we, you know? I wasn't planning to have <laughs> I wasn't planning having sex with both of you until we're married. Iron Man's all. I let him watch. It's how me and Vince Vaughn both pay him. Meanwhile, (laughs) (laughs) take it down, Favreau. Take that. It's not like you say. First thing I liked. Meanwhile, on the roof, Memento's all, damn that stock on the Bobby. I asked him to meet me on this roof so I could suck his wallaby, but he's in his hotel room with that brunette talking about science. Fourteen years pass, during which Tony Stark learns he has a bum ticker and he's an alcoholic, so he makes a suit of armor and flies around blowing up shit for defense contractors. (laughs) Huh, Shane Black. Older Favreau walks around the lobby and goes, Badges, guys, I flushed them all down the toilet. Come on. Come on. More like that. Would have been funnier. Or at least better. A helicopter lands, disgorges Robert Downey Jr., and flies off again. 
He finishes off a bottle of champagne, belches, turns to a nearby seaplane, and goes, I christen thee the something witty. He breaks the bottle against the struts on the third try, then vomits and passes out in the middle of the street. Three days go by, then he yawns and stands up. The crowd golf claps politely. Another helicopter lowers a limo on a cable, and Favreau opens the trunk. A kid pops out with a notepad and goes, Hey, New York, when the Hulk caught you, did his balls taste like limes? Also, how come he wasn't angry then? Oh, yeah, he's always angry. Lols. Want to see my wormhole, wormhole, wormhole? Robert Danny Jr. wakes up screaming in bed. He looks over and sees his Iron Man armor having sex with Gwyneth Paltrow. She's all, Tony, can you keep it down? Meanwhile, but a day earlier, Memento shows up at Stark Enterprises while Gwyneth's binding the store. He's all, oi, long time no Tasmanian. She's all, Cornell Goodwrench. Wow, you're so tanned and muscular. I guess our characters know each other, huh? He's all, yeah, crikey, wibble bobble. Hey, listen, sorry Tony was a dick to you that night in the elevator. I wasn't there, but I read about it in Elevator Faux Pause Weekly. It was going to be their cover article, but they bumped it for a piece on this new type of lobby button Tony invented while he was groping a different brunette. Speaking of pieces. Anyway, that was really uncalled for. It's all kangaroo jack under the bridge. Hey, you're not here to try to seduce me away from Tony before capturing me and putting volcano CG inside me because you're so pissed at him, are you? Because if so, I'm interested. Nah, just here to show you how big my brainstem is. He clicks a garage door remote and they're surrounded by CG. Oh, you Kiwis are so continental. He's all, and that's flaccid. This is a live feed, actually, like a baby is to a dingo. She's all, wow, you must be really smart. What's this gray slimy tube thing here filling with pus? He's all, eh, actually, this is me scrotum. That's from you, actually. Oh, the receptionist. Here's me brain. He clicks again and a garage door closes. <laughs> huh, Tom. Meanwhile, since Downey can't sleep, he has John Favreau and some other guards wander around at the Man Chinese Theater. One of them is bald and chews gum, since it's PG-13 and he can't smoke. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> Meets a guy with the mustache. The mustache guy's all, hey man, I need some volcano CG. I'm really tripping here, bro. The ball guy's all, okay, here you go. And the guy. That is one of the great things about Capricorn One is that everybody's smoking everywhere. Yeah, no gum. I guess it could be nicotine gum. John Favreau taps him on the shoulder and goes, hey, what's with the gum here? It's my Favreau. The mustache guy's all, thanks, bro, I feel way better now, and blows up, along with the theater and the whole block of Hollywood Boulevard. All the TV stations are suddenly hijacked by Ben Kingsley, who looks like Osama bin Laden, but named himself after a Chinese dialect. He's all, let that be a lesson to you, but especially to Iron Man. Then it goes back to static. Just what they were watching. Robert Downey Jr. uses CG to learn that John Favreau is pointing at some exposition. Then he goes outside to the reporter convention and grabs a guy's phone and goes, I'm not afraid of you. I live zero cul-de-sac lane. Take the 10 west off the 405 and park anywhere and fuck you, Mandarin Boulevard. <laughs> or La Cienega if it's after 630. <laughs> stacker. Then he smashes the guy's phone to bits and goes, bill me. And the guy nods respectfully and begins doing a slow clap as Tony gets in his sports car and drives over the guy's wife and gives everybody the bird. Playboy. 
When Tony gets home, the news media is there, along with Gwyneth Paltrow and the brunette chick. One of the reporters is all, hey, thanks for telling us your address there, Stark. We didn't have it. (laughs) Huh, Shane Black. Gwyneth's all, Tony, what the fuck, man? A little notice just once when we're going to have dinner guests would be super. Downey saw, what, the brunette chick? Who said anything about feeding her? Besides, the terrorists I dared to fly here in helicopters and shoot up the place should be here any second, although I ordered takeout on the way over just in case they flake. The brunette's all, I forget why I'm here again. I'll leave. But then we got... She was so critical, though, if you think about it. But then the gum guy and a bunch of other dudes with helicopters show up and blow up the house. One blast flings Gwyneth and the brunette across the room in slow motion, but Tony goes, No! Take his armor, cocoon Gwyneth Paltrow, and crush her boobs and her longer legs because she's taller. So that's <laughs> She breaks her legs. She smashes through the floor and a bunch of magpie shit falls on top of her as the brunette boings off the waterbed harmlessly and goes, Wee! And her top comes off. Down he's all, something witty interrupt and falls to the bottom of the ocean with the house on top of him. Just like that witch in Oz. Once he's submerged a thousand feet, Gwyneth goes, Tony! But then he triumphantly ruins his... I mean, but then he triumphantly runs his subroutine and flies out of the water in a spume of rocket flame and makes a sonic boom that nobody sees him, including his fiancée, the brunette, and gumboy, and news cameras. Gwyneth stands by the cliff after this and goes, Tony! At the water, while the news media watches. Eventually, one guy snaps a picture of the brunette. Tony's all, Alfred, I mean Jarvis, think I'm passing out here. Take me somewhere. There's a kid. Tony lands in Vancouver in the middle of spring, so he gets frostbite. It's actually really summer here. Just forget it's not sequitur. He hangs out with a kid character who out something witties him and has a potato gun. They go look at some ash silhouettes on a brick wall at an old campsite where the Man Chinese Theater used to be. Tony's all, how come there are only five Hiroshima shadows if six people blew up? The kid's all, oh, the forensics guy said... Uh, <laughs> pretend I'm young. The forensics guy said the sixth dude was the bomber, and he didn't have a shadow because he went to hell. But Father Flanagan says that's a crock of shit, and has something to do with isotopes. <laughs> uh, someone else should read these. <laughs> I mean, Tony meets cable TV guy who idolizes him because of Iron Man's iconic ties to the television industry. <laughs> Uh, then he gets a folder of exposition in the bar from an old skull-faced lush and cheers her up by saying, Your boyfriend or whatever wasn't a bomber. He was a patsy for a comic book villain who died pointlessly so I could obtain some trivial knowledge before I blow up this bar. Her life's fine now. Then a volcano CG chick handcuffs him and tries to kill him, but since she's impervious to heat, he beats her with fire. He beats them all with fire. I didn't understand that. Meanwhile, the Mandarin interrupts the Jefferson series finale to take over the airwaves again, point a guy at a, a guy in a suit. Uh, he's all, President Romney, this man is wearing a suit. 
if you don't call me in 30 seconds, I'll shoot him. Three seconds later, Romney calls his phone. Mandarin picks it up. Hello, Mr. President? Good. He shoots the guy and hangs up on the president, then looks in the camera and goes, Obey me at your peril. (laughs) (laughs) Then he goes back static. He watches it. Gets high ratings. Tony makes a suit of armor out of cheese graters and breaks into Memento's duplex, Jason Bourne style. By using baby toys, he's cunningly repurposed the C4. (laughs) He's a genius. I mean, uh, he finds out Ben Kingsley's on drugs and stupid, so he lets him live. (laughs) (laughs) And punished. Off the hook. Off the flip. Getting off the hook. Then he gets captured by Memento. The brunette chick visits him, and he's all, Look, if I stay with you the whole night, trust me, you're top tier. Betray Memento, and I'll totally back you up. Come on, brunette chick. I know you've killed thousands of people over the last decade without a second thought, but something heartfelt. Plus, it's a comic book movie. Loyalty schmoyalty. She's all, Oh, Tony, for the first time ever, my life has... Blam. Memento shoots her. Tony's all, Since you guys only shoot people for no reason, I guess I'm safe. Memento's all, now you'll pay the price for ruining me life. That's what your superhero name ought to be. Iron Life Ruiner. <laughs> Downey's all, uh, it's not bad. Except my suit's not actually made out of iron. Also, what do you mean ruin your life? You became a billionaire and that brunette we shared was smoking. If I hadn't blown you off, you would have been in my shadow. I'd have owned the rights to all your stuff. Favreau would be trailing after you for crumbs day and night. Memento's all, silencio, crikey. I go now to something blah. P.A. helps him into a golf cart and drives him off to the craft services table. Tony tricks the guards assigned to be killed by him. (laughs) (laughs) They tricks the guards assigned to be killed by him. By talking and turning into Iron Man, and Don Cheadle being there and shooting some dudes because he carries a gun when he's inside his armor. Meanwhile, gun-chewing guy kidnaps Romney from Air Force One and blows it up. Tony looks at all the plummeting people and goes... Alfred, how many of these people can I carry? I'm assuming they all weigh exactly the same. Uh, four, sir. Tony saves them all by them hearing his orders perfectly in the deafening wind. <laughs> and being experienced aerial choreographers. That's who the president was traveling with. Oh, <laughs> then he triumphantly drops them all in the ocean. Tony's all like, look at them all waving their arms in appreciation. Jarvis is all, Master Stark, sir, I believe none of them can swim. I did mention you can carry four. No time, Jeeves. Actually, sir, you have plenty. Damn you, I said Jeeves. Sir, truck's about to hit you. Ha, we really got to get that speech center his fixed, huh, audience? Beep, beep, crunch. Pieces of Iron Man's empty armor scatter all over the road. No skeleton. Just CG. Everyone fears he's dead. But luckily, Michael Caine sees Robert Downey Jr. and Gwyneth Paltrow eating brunch at its table in Italy. So no <laughs> doctor. Tom Dingus, world. But the truck driver's dead. <laughs> Would have been cool in Dark Knight Rises if Michael Caine's staring at them and the table blows up. <laughs> that would end the controversy. Tony goes to ports to call and saves everybody by summoning all his Iron Man suits, which I guess he couldn't do earlier, and which I guess survived the destruction of his house by missiles. Don Cheadle's all, sweet, where's my armor, bro? That's my black guy. Tony's all, sorry, I have them keep me only and Gwyneth Paltrow, even though she hates them. 
too anatomically correct. Anyway, even though this and my other movies always come out in May, it's almost Christmas of last year, kind of. And you know what Christmas means? Fireworks! He blows up all his suits, including the chunks Gwyneth Paltrow is still wearing, but her knobs grow back because someone put CG in her to torture with immortality. They blow up Memento a few times, then they try to arrest the vice president's daughter, but the handcuff <laughs> keeps sliding off the leg stump. Oh. oh, too soon. <laughs> Don't worry, dingus. James Franco glues a wooden leg onto him. <laughs> Slides off that. <laughs> Times. Down is all. I mean, down voiceovers all. And the rest is history, if you consider comic books archaeology. They took the CG out of Gwyneth Paltrow by using this new type of surgery called Deus Ex Machinatrix. Then I was all, hey, well, you guys are up, and then they knew what I meant, so they replaced my CG heart with a hand-drawn one from the 1930s. Sure, I could have done it three movies earlier, but whatever. I think they also cured my alcoholism. Speaking of which, want a refill there, Hulk? Nah, Hulk smashed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, thank you, Kelly Wand. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, so Iron Man 3. Uh, I'm going to go first because I was not into the first two Iron Men. The first one, whatever, I enjoyed sort of Robert Downey Jr.'s irreverence. Uh, it came down to this goofy punch fest between uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Jeff Bridges in a mech outfit. And uh, whatever, somebody punches the other one harder and he wins the battle because he's the good guy. And then the movie's over. Iron Man 2 came out. We all saw that. You can listen to our podcast. Didn't care for that either. Uh, so I had very little desire to see this, even though I like Shane Black, what he did with Robert Downey Jr. and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Um, I didn't see the trailer. I actually, actually, they do a stupid thing in the trailer where the trailer's over and it comes up Iron Man 3. And so I look up and I'm like, okay, well, now the trailer's over. So I'd accidentally seen the scene where all the Iron Men come out, all yeah. the suits come out. So that got ruined for me, which really pissed me off. Um, but basically, I had no... I, you know, I was looking forward to seeing. I, I'm into big summer movies just fine. I was looking forward to it for that. You know, here's a big budget, goofy action movie. But I didn't really have any desire to see it. I wasn't really psyched about it. Um, so maybe that played into it. But man, I really loved this as, as a follow up to, to. To me, I don't think of this, and and I know that Disney is playing on this. I don't think of this so much as a sequel to the Iron Man movies as I think of this as the next installment of this Avengers juggernaut. Uh, that they've got, you know, that they're, they're, they basically got this this tiger by the tail, and they're doing, I think, a great job with it. The Avengers was great. I really like this Iron Man three, and I think what this shows, what I see here, what I what I take away from this is that what they're doing is they are giving money to people who know what they're doing, and I love that. I really feel like Shane Black brought a unique appreciation for Robert Downey Jr.'s irreverence. He brought some really nice twists with him and his and Drew Pierce's script into the story. Uh, he brought some real sex appeal, some chemistry between actors with serious star power. Uh, he had a good menagerie of villains. Uh, and even the obligatory heartwarming stuff about personal redemption and lovable urchins. I thought Shane Black even handled that stuff well. Lovable urchins. So, yeah, because you know that's that's part of what you do. Um, so I I just I I was bowled over by this. I had a great time, and I really, against all odds, ended up loving another freaking comic book movie. What's that's just weird to me. But the deck was kind of tipped your way with the Shane Black and the Rob Downey. The deck was tipped. 
<laughs> well, Kelly Wan, so you go next. So you're, I presume, I, you know, we all love Kiss Kiss Bang Bang on this podcast. I mean, we all know that, that you know, when you let Shane Black run with something, you get this great dark comedy with uh, some some entertaining nattering, uh, like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Um, so we all like that. So Kelly Wan, did you feel that there was enough Shane Black in this? Did it work for you? Uh, okay, I like the first Iron Man, hated the second mm-hmm. Iron Man, and didn't mm-hmm. like the Avengers, which I guess I'm in a minority on. Yes, you are. Um, okay. And the person I saw this with was really into it, so maybe it was just feeding off her energy levels, but she's Asian, so I thought oh, it was just robots. But I thought this movie was awesome. I loved it. And it was wow. really, it, it was about Downey, it, which is a really bold thing to do, I think, in the third movie, where you expect even more CG than even the second one. But he's gimped the whole time, and it's just about his eyes and his face and his acting, like for most of the movie. And even when something that I normally hate comes up, like a kid, I'm like, it'd be weird for the movie, it'd be weird for this movie to suddenly have a schmaltzy kid arc. And then he totally makes it awesome. <laughs> well, it does get it does get schmaltzy, but it does not. No, that kid was not, funny. Yeah. But they don't they don't dispense of the irreverence. You know, some of the yeah, things yeah. he says to the kid. He there's says, there's a pussy. If I right. right. And and that right there, that's their PG thirteen moment. I don't think the f bomb was dropped, but certainly calling the kid that, I was like, okay, well, there's your PG thirteen. After he's all, yeah, my dad left six years ago. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, dad's, I, leave. dad's leave. No, no reason to be a pussy about it. Right, yeah, that's that's pretty. That right there, I think you can either say that in a movie, or you can drop an f bomb and still keep your PG thirteen. You get one or the other. You can't have both of those. He was like that the whole movie, though. He was just saying funny shit the whole movie. He's so well, great at this role. Well, and and I do think that that's what a lot of what Shane Black gets about working with Robert Downey Jr. It was a masterstroke getting Shane Black. Yeah. That's my review of this movie. All right, so Kelly Wan and I both clock in at awesome. Dingus, why don't you be a naysayer? Tell us that we're being too generous and you didn't like the movie. Yeah. I dare you. I, we dare. We double dog dare you. Be the detractor. Yeah. Like warm. Boy, I really hated this movie. <laughs> Try harder. Oh, sorry. I can't. <laughs> Try harder. <laughs> um, what's great about the way he he's doing those one-liners and all those things is that it's cutting against his pain. It's not just him being yeah. bored. It's ah. not just him nattering. It's cutting against what he's going through. And I think uh, I. You know, I know Tom. You didn't like the first uh, Iron Man, but uh, I just watched it right before going to see this, and I watched it with my son for the first time, and he loved it, and I loved it. it really yeah. holds up, see, and it, this is such a good sequel to that. And if you could just imagine Iron Man Two doesn't exist, or that like Temple of Doom, it takes place in a universe before the first movie, or whatever. Um, this this movie works so well. I don't understand how it works in the Avengers universe, other than the the sort of the anxiety attacks. Because I just I keep asking oh, I myself, where the hell are the other Avengers? Why 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 won't Captain America run in and help? Um, well, I think Dingus, we will find that out in Captain America: Winter's War and in Thor: Dark World. Oh, that, that's going to that's, that's going to that's going to answer the question. Hey, why weren't you guys helping out during this Mandarin crisis thing, <laughs> which is yeah. worldwide? It's not just a right. little local crisis. Um, but man, I, I loved this so much and I really liked the focus of it. I really loved what Shane Black brought to it and, uh, and how he kind of revitalized Robert Downey Jr. Uh, Dingus, I can sort of answer, I think, how it fits. I mean, I know that, that you, 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 and this was my problem. You come out of an Avengers movie and who just wants to watch, you know, one fifth of an Avengers movie? That was part of my thinking as well. But the best fifth. 
Um, uh, I don't know about that. I would say Kelly Wan, the most crowd-pleasing fifth. Who's you know, the, the better fifth? fifth? Hulk. I, Hello. I mean, mm, now nah, only because he's the fifth dude. That's and the Hulk's Mark fucking Ruffalo. Are you kidding? Mm. See, the thing is, I don't. I don't think you can. Part of what made the Avengers work is how it's an ensemble piece about very different pieces. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's not. Uh, I, I don't know if there's a best fifth, but Robert Downey Jr. is clearly the wisecracking, lovable one of Without the Without him, that movie would have been empty as fuck. But what's but what wonderful are, about the Avengers is you can see the spark kind of coming back for him. And this really, this is really him catching fire. I mean, it's, it's definitely see? Dingus. It's a huge counterpart to like those Sherlock Holmes movies where he's just yeah. kind of flailing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, His contract's up, by the way. So he is, and he he isn't committing to playing Iron Man ever again. You know what? They will throw as much money as. Oh they yeah, can. of course. Yeah, he'll get. And and here's the thing: is he'll get rich off of it, and he's already rich. But I, I really feel this is an example where this is why guys like Robert Downey Jr. make millions of dollars. I mean, this yeah. this to me. It reminds me, in a way, the way that Disney is handling this franchise reminds me, in a way, of the way TV is approached, but less frequently. You know, it's not a weekly installment with enormous budgets and all the production values that come with it, and most importantly, with this just crazy amount of star power. I mean, this is why people like Robert Downey Jr., Gwyneth Paltrow, James Badge Dale, uh, this is why these people make this much money and why they should make that, this much money. I mean, even Guy Pierce, what, whatever, they didn't do that much with him. He's just sort of a scenery-chewing villain. But th- these people I find are fascinating to watch. This is just an example of, of you, you know, movie stars at work. Um, I recently watched – we'll talk about this later for a reason that has to do with the 3x3. Three three. I recently watched uh, uh, Towering Inferno, which is <laughs> ni- 1974, and in 1974, it was the equivalent of you know all of these huge name actors – you know, you, you have like Richard Chamberlain, Steve McQueen, Paul Newman, uh, Robert Wagner, William Holden, uh, uh, other, I mean, I, you know, Fred Astaire, for Pete's sake. All these huge name actors in this, and it still has this kind of, and maybe it's just because I didn't really know a lot of the actors, um, but it has this kind of, this almost made for TV chintziness to it. Yeah. Um, because I feel that the, the script is just so. Just made for TV, but but a movie like The Avengers and Iron Man Three really treasures the the power of celebrity and the charisma of these actors, and and really translates it into great storytelling and audience appeal in a way that you know I watch Towering Inferno and it's fascinating in a way, but I watch Towering Inferno and for the life of me I can't figure out why anybody thinks that Steve McQueen is anything other than a putz. Uh, I don't get that. I don't get that guy's appeal. But I can't imagine anybody, and maybe it's just because we know him, watching something like Iron Man 3 and not thinking, wow, that, that Gwyneth Paltrow is, is nearly a national treasure. Um, I mean, there's just so much yeah. star power in, in the movies. And so that, that's kind of what I feel that, that Disney is doing here. And I hope – I don't know if they can keep it up. You might be right, Kelly Wan, about this being the best Avenger. You know, can Chris Hems, Hemsdale – Hemsworth? I can't even think of the guy's name. Chris Hemsworth. Hemsworth. Yeah, can he anchor now a post Avengers Thor? No, probably not. Yeah, he can play. He can play in a racing movie, but no. And he was. I thought he was the weakest part of Avengers, and I thought it was obvious 
that he was the weakest part of the Avengers. Well, the weakest part, Dingus, but an important part because they were kind of making fun of him because he was the kind of the guy with the stick up his butt and who was kind of like upright and forthright and, uh, you know, sort of a straight man and doing, you know, they made fun of him as Shakespeare in the park. And, uh, but, but I, you know, I think that, yeah, like how, well, how that's do you make fine. I just thought even technique wise, I, just, I thought he was a weak actor. Dingus uh, doesn't mean just because he's Australian. How dare you? That's right. They're all. I would, I would never say that about Scoot McNary, for instance. <laughs> but no, you do have a point. You do have a point. And you know what, Kelly Wan, when you say that Robert Downey Jr. might be the best Avenger, and I find myself thinking, ah, a standalone Thor movie, and even a Captain America movie. I think I'm the only one on the podcast who liked the first Captain America movie. I thought Dingus even, liked the, the, maybe I can't remember. I, I didn't I was, like it until I saw the Avengers, and then I saw Tom's point. Because I, when we watched Captain America, I just thought, why do we need this movie, this post-Cold War weird, what the hell is this This uh, character, why are we? Why is he being thrust upon us? But then, when you see the Avengers, it, it's this great puzzle piece. I really love. I love how it works. Once you see the Avengers, Captain America sort of snicks into place. I really like that. And so, I guess actually, I think I'm coming around to Kelly Wan's point in that this seems like the obvious follow up to an Avengers movie is take Robert Downey, take the Robert Downey Jr. He's piece the money. Out. Yeah, I guess so. I guess you're right. The Hulk has a couple really good shots in that movie of, of Avengers, but you took out just the, that 10 seconds, he doesn't do anything else that's good. Well, I, here's the thing, though, Kelly Lana. If you take the way that Shane Black understands Robert Downey Jr.'s irreverence, if you take someone who can understand Mark Ruffalo's soulfulness, maybe, like, you know what? Here you go. Here you <laughs> and go. you're good at the end of this movie. <laughs> no, here you go. A, a Hulk movie by, oh, dadgummit, who did Margaret and you can count on me, Dingus? What's the director's name? Uh. <laughs> Ken, Kenneth Lonergan. Wait, Kenneth Lonergan. Green so a, Ken, a Kenneth Lonergan Hulk, Kelly Wan. That's Watt. awesome. That's right, what I want you to give us. Yeah. <laughs> so you already had a weird Hulk, because Ang Lee was a weird Hulk choice. You know, it'll be weirdly watchable. Right. Yeah, so there you go. So there's a history of weird Hulks, so maybe we'll get that. Hulks. But I want to answer Dingus's point, though, about how trying to fit this into a post-Avengers world. And here's one of the really canny things that I feel Shane Black did. Like X-Men, huh? Um... I don't because I'm not enough of a comic book the nerd. Of comics book. First of all, by the way, speaking of not being a comic book nerd, I love how angry certain comic book nerds must be about things like the twist with that the means. Mandarin and all that. Yeah. I love that. I, and just like, And what? Bane was like a Latin American dude. In a oh, but Bane didn't work. Oh. Like I, I loved the stuff with yeah, no, kill you no, brother. <laughs> uh, I love the stuff with the Mandarin. Uh, I and I yeah. love, for instance, that that comic book nerds don't like the movie Constantine. Like I, 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 anything that makes a comic book nerd angry, I'm I'm totally down with. Um, but I, I, I want to speak to Dingus's point, and this is a candy Fuck thing. You, <laughs> Thank you. Hey, z uh, This is, uh, I think, Shane Black, one of the things he did, if we think of the Avengers as this great triumphant movie uh, about America coming together, uh, a, a team coming together of disparate parts, and maybe they're metaphors for America. If we think about them coming together uh, in, in response to an attack on New York City. And we think now of Iron Man 3 as a story about the post-traumatic stress after that attack on New York City with counterparts for George Bush. Because, you know, they didn't cast William Sadler as the president because he looks like Barack Obama. They cast him as the president because he definitely looks like a Bush. Uh, and, and we have – Freeman was busy. And we have an Osama bin Laden counterpart. Uh, I, I think in, in this canny way Shane Black is making 
Iron Man 3 as a post-9-11 superhero movie. Stuff too. That adds to your theory. Exactly, exactly. The, the, all the stuff about patriotism. And I love, in a way, how that's kind of a shell game. Like, I love how that is still, it doesn't become primarily about that. Right. It still has this great middle act about the superhero's self-doubt and angst, which, you know, if you want to see it done heavy-handedly, one of the, the you know, the Spider-Man movies will oblige yeah. you. Yeah. But here, what a, what a great, you know, he handled that so well in the context of this story about someone recovering from an attack on New York City uh, and, and, and the nation at large, how it's struggling with it and how people are, are using it to undermine our values. Uh, so I think Shane Black, and it's not heavy handed, made a post Avengers movie as a post 9-11 movie. It's there uh, if you want it. Exactly. exactly. But for, yeah, for this big a story, it doesn't make any sense that, that the heroes aren't showing up to help. It just doesn't well, make any sense. Was, uh, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, they, I'm fine. I'm fine with it. That's fine. We're going to pretend that Captain America's on a coffee break or whatever. None of this makes any sense after New York. It just doesn't make any sense unless it's all in his head or it's a yeah, small story. Yeah, he's LA based too. Is the it's, funny thing. It's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's happening at a terrorist on a worldwide level where the president is being attacked on Air Force One, and none of you guys can be bothered to come and help? Hawkeye is too busy? Are you filming another Bourne movie? None of that makes any sense, but I I don't really care about that, but it nags at me the whole time I'm watching it because we are post-Avengers. Maybe uh, he fell into a wormhole where it's only him, though. It's a wormhole, yeah. They all flew into the alien hole. Uh, Clones. uh, Time travel. Clones. Oh, yeah, yeah. What Kelly wants. It's a metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, the comics are so much more convoluted than even that. It's just, you go, all right. There's no time to question these things. I really think, I mean, Dingus, I'm glad you mentioned this, and I love how emphatic you are about it, because, again, it was kind of like when we were talking about the twists in Oblivion. I didn't get those. I, I swear, when you're saying it now, Dingus, yeah, I understand the complaint, but I never once thought about it during the movie. I and I, 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 how can you not think, where's Captain America? Because there's already tons of shit going on already. It's like, not I Downey. Huh? Well, you know, maybe they thought he had it. Maybe it's just a vote of confidence. Like he's been, <laughs> <laughs> he's been under the ocean a few times. Namor, <laughs> go back, go back home, Submariner. He's fine. Don't help him. He's always going to learn. Like that's the least of it. Like to me, it's like just how, like the rules of how the armor works, and like it coming off in the middle of a collision with a truck. But, like, he doesn't even... Because he gets blood on his chin from that one thing at the beginning where he gets smashed in the face with the face mask. Mm-hmm. But then that's his only injury for the whole movie, if I remember right. Well, everyone around him just gets shot in the head. Um, so that's my complaint. No, I have no complaints. <laughs> well, I love that, uh, how that whole intro is just so slapstick. Uh, oh, oh, with the yeah, even getting hit in the nuts with the yeah. iron pod, the iron That's man. That's how the first one was. It's a, it's a, the first one trumped up a little, right? Because you just saw it. Make I Tom like that one. I love it when a when a comic book movie uh, knows how to balance uh, goofiness with earnestness. Yeah, and, you know, it can take itself seriously just enough. Uh, but then you have just all this goofy. We have a, we acknowledge that this is just a goofy world, but these people feel very serious about it, and it it just Shane Black understands how to how to balance that. I love that. Here's so, though. Go ahead, Kelly Wand. I was gonna say, if you go too far, though, you get the Superman Returns thing. You get this too too much reverence, right. and and so that's why I think the Marvel movies are just better because 
it's part of the Superman. Because wait and see, because the year Iron Man one came out, we also got Dark Knight that year, that summer, so we were kind of spoiled. But like the Superman stuff, so somber in comparison to like the jaunty. Oh, that's right. We get another it's, Superman movie this summer, don't we? Yeah. I totally forgot about that. Oh, it's, how can that possibly? I, well, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how you make a Superman movie without it being just campy. Because Superman is just such a silly, overpowered hero. Dingus, Kryptonite, Kryptonite, Dingus, Kryptonite, hello. See, it was campy in the 70s. They go, no, no, and those were successes. And then they went, no, we got to make it very serious. It, yeah, when, Superman, when Superman catches Kryptonite, he's just like the rest of us, Dingus. Mm. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about... Uh, Here's my problem uh, with comic book as a comic book story. So, one of the classic little comic book gimmicks, and I don't maybe this is another fiction, but it seems like such a comic book thing is okay, superhero, you can do either A or B, but you can't do A and right. B. So, for instance, <laughs> Spider-Man, you can save uh, Mary Jane from uh, the octopus, or you can save these the people octopus. in this cable car. You can do He's one or the other Spider-Man. Degree. You can't do both. And Spider-Man does both anyway. Those are like, two different but Batman does it. Batman eyes. gets fucked. Well, here's the thing. So in this movie, we have two of these moments where, and Kelly Wan, you mentioned one of them. Uh, Jeeves says, okay, you can save four of these people. And wait, he saves all of them anyway? What? I, I was so unclear on what happened there. The computer's dumber than him. He's all, all right, stupid Jeeves. And, I'm going to electrify your hand, and it's yeah. going to electrify that man's hand and his foot. Don't panic. Can you hear me okay? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand that. But there's also a point where, okay, you can save the president or you can save Pepper Potts. And he doesn't have to decide. He's like, screw that. I'm going to save both of them. Yeah. And I feel spoiled by how in Dark Knight that decision, okay, you can save Harvey Dent or you can uh. save uh, – and that, that moment in Dark Knight sets the bar for me. I mean that sets the standard for this classic Superman superhero dilemma because in, in Dark Knight, he can't do both of them. He doesn't do both of them. And furthermore, the, the fact that he can't do both of them is – is part and parcel of the Joker's plan, and he totally plays into the Joker's. I mean, the Joker wins that contest, and I love how that's character development, and that's making, you know, forcing characters to make hard decisions. Now, I still think Iron Man 3 had some great character stuff in it, uh, and Dingus, you mentioning how uh, Robert Downey Jr. being irreverent is cutting against his suffering, that's, that's a great bit of dramatic tension. But I just felt like Shane Black wrote in two separate instances of, okay, you can do A or B, you can't do both A and B, and the movie just, he does both of them anyway. But that's the difference between Tony Stark and Batman. A, Tony Stark's cooler and refuses to see the limitations, and he can no, fly. No, it's the difference between uh, the Mandarin and the Joker. It's the difference between a good villain and a bad villain. Yeah. Because the, the, the Mandarin actually helps him to save her and the president by delivering them both to the same place at the same time and making her invincible. And the Joker says, no, you don't get a way out. In fact, I'm going to so thoroughly fuck you that I'm going to send you to the wrong place and kill her. So this is the difference between two bad villains. One really good bad villain and one kind of meh villain. Well, I also wonder too, Dingus, if it's the difference between the tone in uh, story. Like like Dark Knight yeah, is really yeah, yeah. Is, is, a, is a great tragedy. This is a, a great bit of just sort of rah-rah Americana superhero stuff. And I don't mean that to denigrate it in any way because I'm a totally on board with it as anyone. But I guess this just isn't that kind of superhero movie. He so, does have to choose enough. between Gwyneth and the brunette chick at the beginning. And no, he does. Well, no, but... Gwyneth, uh, for obvious <laughs> reasons. Like, you're the one I stand. Good luck. 
But he does it because she gets bitch. Rebecca Hall gets shot, by the way, and turns out to be a villain. So yeah. it's sort of like, okay, it's all she right. She gets nothing accomplished. She should have been a <laughs> uh, Okay, let's talk about the cast. So I, uh, I, I mean, when when have we seen Gwyneth? Is it just me, or wasn't Gwyneth Paltrow awesome? That that's She's not just me. Right? It's so great. It's so. <sighs> Hot, good God! I'm so happy that she came in at the end and just got to kick some ass. And she's fun too. Like so fun surprised chair. at her ability. To, she's like, boy, that was violent. I loved her. <laughs> and even I, I again, I felt just like kind of mishandling the superhero dilemma thing when we yeah. see her quote unquote die. And no, I think of course everybody in the audience knows she's not dead. But I right. felt like. They were kind of misplaying how serious that was supposed to be to Tony Stark, because yeah. then he's like fighting and having quips and oh great she's not usual, dead. Right. Yeah, so I I get you yeah, know I kind of like, laid off the quips for just a minute, you know. I think in a way the movie was afraid or reluctant. I don't know about afraid. Was just reluctant to really get too dark. Um, I think it just wanted to maintain this kind of cheeriness and even tricking us into thinking supposedly or tricking Tony Stark into thinking that uh, Pepper Potts is dead for three minutes. Like it couldn't even manage yeah. that, really. But she's not eating. And then you go, OK, well, she's still fucked because she has like the thing in her that might blow her up. But they just take it out, too. So even that. <laughs> right. Everything's yeah. fine. I solved that. I just thought about it for a minute. But seriously, also, supposed to hate the, she's supposed to hate the suits of armor, but then she uses them awesomely twice to save both of them. So you'd think I, by then the twist would have been... I don't understand that whole uh, clean slate thing. Why is that... takes the armor all of a sudden. Why do, why do all the suits have to be exploded and that makes her happy? It's just that that was somehow a crutch of his. Like, it's his well, alcohol, which is dumb. I mean, but it's it's this. I mean, it's it's part of the character development. It's this idea that he's going to grow up and get over his PTSD, and he's going to throw away his toys and be a committed partner. I mean, I think that's this uh, idea that they they want to get at. Um, and because there's an undertone there, like he's you know he's he's distracted by the the his, his suffering and and getting over uh, this this sort of paradigm shift that he's had about self sacrifice and you, you know and he's reluctant. So now- he wants to- He's not in the Avengers anymore because he just blew up all of his one reason that would have made him one of the fraternity. Now he's not a superhero, or is he like Reed Richards, where he just well, like, he still has his he still has one or two suits, doesn't he? Did he blow yeah, up? No. Well, Did you he... know, the ending of this movie really, really made one of the people we went to see it with angry. <laughs> Comic book nerds, telling you, man, which part? How hot Rebecca Hall was? No, the my son was really mad at the end of this movie. Because wait, why? Because the implication is that he's not going to be Iron Man. Anymore. Oh, well, he's been, yeah. he's, he's been healed. He's thrown his heart into the ocean, and that's it. And that made my son, it made, you know. And then he started questioning everything about the movie. He really <laughs> did not like it. And when we got back home, he yelled at his friends across the street, this is a horrible movie. Now, he's only eight, right. but he, he didn't understand any of the inconsistencies as far as the Mandarin was concerned. But all of this came out of, at the very end, he said, Dad, this ending is crap. He just got so mad that Iron Man healed himself. He got mad at, at the character's basic redemption. Uh, and I, I will say that the very last line of the movie, however... I think contradicts your your son's complaint. The very last line of the movie is, "I am Iron Man." Yeah. Bitches. <laughs> I don't think the word subtext. Wait a minute. Hold on. That's, that's the subtexting is. <laughs> oh right, right. That sounds like something Hulk would say. But I bet too. Like uh, I don't. Is the Mandarin in the comic books like really this this terribly 
dire evil villain, or, or is he a joke in the comics as well? I'm assuming not, right? This has got to be a complete retconning of a comic book character, right? It's his guy. It's his Doctor Octopus. Or what but, are you talking about? I don't know. What's I don't know what you're saying. about it is that it's it's a it's a twist designed to mess with comic book nerds. I mean, even my my kid who doesn't read a lot of comic books understood that that's what the Mandarin is supposed to look like. So the fact that he's this fire guy doesn't make any sense. And when and and so now I'm left trying to describe and explain what movie twists are to my kids. <laughs> it's cool Wait, that he's Mandarin, an idiot. See you. Manor's not the fire guy. That's uh, Killian, whatever, Murphy. <laughs> What's what was uh, yeah, that Kingsley's the Mandarin. Yeah, so the Mandarin is the oh. Osama bin Laden. Yeah. No, no, no. But in this movie, at the end, Killian says, I've all, I was always the Mandarin. Well, that's a metaphor. I mean, that's he means... JK, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah well, well, my eight-year-old didn't see it as a man- metaphor. Well, he said, he said I was always the Mandarin. That doesn't make any sense to me. Hmm. Well, he's always the Mandarin. In the yeah, Iron Man's always that. Iron Man. He says the same thing. I'm always Iron Man. Well, but he's been manipulating. <laughs> your son's like, Mandarin. fuck both that. scares it down. That's pretty cool. Oh, an eight-year-old hated Iron Man 3. See? What's that tell you? Oh, he was so upset, but he loved Iron Man 1. What do you think of the second one? That's the uh, We only watched it up until uh, the villain identified himself. Uh, and my, and I didn't even remember the name of him. Well, uh, well, we, it was late at night and it was time to go to bed, but, uh, but then, yeah, Karen said, Hey, that's Whiplash! And he got very excited. And he told me, I'm going to like the second one more than I like the third, even though we haven't watched it. He knows who everybody is. He's the angry comic book nerd. He knows. I, I, he, exactly. As soon as, uh, as AIM shows up, he goes, AIM is bad. I mean, and I don't know how he knows all of this because uh, we haven't watched a great deal of this. See, he sees the AIM toothpaste in the bathroom and goes, Dad, got to get rid of this. Don't brush your teeth. AIM is bad. Yeah, he knows that. What do you think of Avengers? Oh, he loves it. We've seen it multiple times. He thinks it's awesome. He didn't bother him if the Hulk's not mad. And then he's like, funny. Wait a minute. The Hulk is not mad. The Hulk is always mad, Kelly. Tom, I think the line's always angry. Oops. <laughs> uh, I want to go back to talking about how Gwyneth Paltrow's abs. Oh, good lord! <laughs> Which parts those? <laughs> uh, I I I also think I I kind of wish that I I loved the little parts like where she would just interact with a piece of armor, uh, and I loved where how sexy that bit was where he puts the armor on her during the blast and then she shields him. Like, I love that little turnaround, but I also love that she got an Iron Man arm at the end. And yeah. I, I, I hope this doesn't make me sound like a pervert, but I really wanted a bigger, like full length shot of her in that outfit with her abs and just the Iron Man arm. But however, as I was thinking that I was like, that's probably like some weird, like Japanese manga fetish thing or something, <laughs> seeing some woman with a scantily clad with a mechanical arm. Um, Kelly, one, can you look into that? Made that for yeah. But I loved the turnaround, and that was a uh, that was a, a great twist. I, I thought as well as hey, let's put Pepper Potts in the Iron Man outfit and i even like little touches like there's a point when you know she's having her meeting with guy pierce and they go outside and guy pierce is like hey maybe we can go to lunch sometime or whatever he says and she's like no nah, i don't think so and he so he goes in and says okay and he's go, he's going in to kiss her on the cheek and she turns in towards him 
yeah. just that little turn of the head. I was like, man, that's like a great actor instinct, and that reads well, and it's really sexy. And uh, I just love that here's this huge – you know, probably two hundred million dollar movie, and there can still be just a great little character moment like that that would play just as well in any little art house movie. Uh, I loved that non fake physical gesture. Exactly, Kelly Wand. Uh, you don't need you don't need to put Scarlett Johansson in leather to make a movie sexy. By golly. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the so uh, let me ask you guys what is what is Shane Black's favorite kind of plant? Ficus. Very good. And I forgot. I forgot. Is, yeah, because there was a ficus reference in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I think it's Shane Black probably thinks that that's a funny word. But he also thinks monkeys are funny because the monkey says ficus and then we have a barrel of monkeys. So I don't know what's going on with him. So the barrel of monkeys. Oh, yeah, that's right. The barrel of monkeys, that uh, skydiving scene. So that, by the way, was one, one moment which I felt was kind of hor- horrific. Like the people getting blown out of the plane, I was like, "Ew, that's that was nightmarish, actually." Yeah, because we were watching it, and, and and also a little, you know, it's funny I, that I earlier said the movie was afraid to be dark because that's pretty horrific, and the people turning into like these glowing orange demon monsters was also kind of horrific. Um, those were some of those were pretty frightening looking, which I loved. I mean, those were cooler looking demons than anything in Evil Dead. I thought. Hmm. No, you're not with me on that, Kelly Wand? I think so. I'm not really familiar with the extremist storyline that kind of came after my time. The but none of that well, You know the name of it? <laughs> wow. Yeah, does he Ex- say it? Extrem- extremist. Karen yeah. told me. Extremist. Thank you. <laughs> That's what I meant. But, I mean, those people all live. So any, anytime anything hor- horrific... Is, so is that like the guy. entire... Everybody that was on Air Force One gets off, gets thrown off? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, actually, yeah. Uh, Dingus, no, no, no. Because several people get shot when... Uh, there are definitely shootings, like close-range gunshot blasts to the chest or whatever. I mean, people definitely get shot to death. And I did notice... Just because I, I'm keenly aware when I'm watching a movie, okay, can we have R-rated action? Is it PG-13 rated action? When, when Robert Downey Jr. is using his Fisher-Price uh, home invasion set, as Kelly Wand alluded to, <laughs> at, at one point he tasers a guy and then throws him into a fountain. And I'm thinking, well, that dude's going to drown. You've just, you just drowned one of these guards that you were using a non-lethal weapon on. Did no one else catch that? That was just me. No, but then he throws one of his exploding Christmas ornaments in to that fountain to finish the job. So if, if that guy's not going to drown, he <laughs> So Dingus, does he throw a grenade in that pool? <laughs> mm. A little reference to Battle L.A. for uh, uh, podcast drop, drop a grenade in that pool. <laughs> it was, it's his Zero Dark Thirty, huh? Uh, who, Robert Downey Jr.'s, Shane Black's? No, I, Dingus's. I, <laughs> uh, Dingus, tell us about, uh, who's the character? Stephanie Shostak. Oh, yeah. Oh, I really liked her. God. I did, too. Tell us about, who, what was going on there, Dingus? What was that? <laughs> She's hot. <laughs> I have another theory. So, <laughs> say her name, say her name for me, Dingus. Uh, I don't know. If the, I, I would just say Steph, uh, Stephanie Sh- uh, Shostak. Okay, so Stephanie Shostak, I, oh, I loved Stephanie. Uh, I, I loved how um, you know they they sort of scarred her face up because this idea was that this, we're all wounded vets uh, in this this program, which again adds to this sort of post Iraq invasion almost poignancy. Like I kind of felt 
I guess I felt bad for them because they're bad guys. But when all those Iron Men suits are running around poning them all, I was like, wait a minute. These are just misguided, wounded vets here. This is kind of uh, sad. Well, so I, I felt suits. bad about that, too. And it's, as you were talking about the darkness a minute ago about the people flying out of the airplane, I was like, do I want to bring this up? Because that, that war vet stuff is oogie. Well, and I'm guessing that's what the – uh, extreme program that Kelly Wan mentioned from the comics, like that's probably what it's touching on, is this, this sort of moral ambiguity of, uh, you know, wounded vets seeking some sort of reparation or or resolution in their lives or whatever, being turned to henchmen. I'm guessing Kelly Wan, that's what that goes into, yeah. Yeah, and a, and a botanist invented it. Ninety nine. A hot botanist. Yeah, a hotnist. A hot, oh damn it. <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh, but anyway, she, what can I see her Ed? Uh, I don't Dingus did I did look at her page, but I forgot I don't think I'd seen her on anything anything. As a matter of fact, looking at her IMDB page, I thought, man, what a great <laughs> for this for this actress to get this awesome standout part with these great fight scenes with some really good interplay with Robert Downey Jr. Uh, did you know her from anything, Dingus? Uh, what's uh, who is it? Rebecca Hall? No no no, Stephanie uh, Shostakovich. Oh. Is. Kelly's talking about Rebecca Hall. Yeah. I was still back on Stephanie Shostakovich. Rebecca Hall. Dingus. Double anyway. Uh, Stephanie, Stephanie Shostak was, I think, just in some some TV stuff. I, I uh, Other than... God. Uh... She was on in some one of one terrible comedy we saw, but I don't remember which one. Oh, oh, oh! Uh, uh, the one uh, dinner dinner for schmucks. I didn't remember her. her oh, name. I was going to say, um, yeah, okay. Yeah, but she was one of the, I guess, schmucks. I guess. Well, at any rate, she had a part in dinner for schmucks. I oh. I saw that and was like, oh, I don't remember her. So but here's what I, guys for that movie. Here's what I. <laughs> We didn't make it. Uh, here's what I love. <laughs> here's what I love about that character, Stephanie Shostak's character. It reminds me, I think there's something just so incredibly cool about uh, an efficient, ruthless chick, usually with some sort of official capacity, just kicking ass. Like flashing a badge, and you think, okay, she's just an efficient bureaucrat. But no, it turns out she's also like a ruthless warrior assassin. And it reminded me of Elizabeth Marvel in Born Legacy. But, you know, where we saw uh, she, she portrays herself as a doctor and she goes into the house and has this great shootout scene in, in Born Legacy. Uh, it reminded me of an actress named Janet McTeer in a terrible movie called Cat Run, where Janet McTeer is this super badass assassin who will also torture people. It reminded me a bit of Kate Beckinsale in the Total Recall remake uh, and certainly uh, Gina Carano in Haywire. Like, I just love something about that kind of cool, efficient, ruthless ass-kicking from a female character. Uh, they have the same kind of hair, huh, too. Kinda. You do have a point there, Kelly Wand. It reminded me of something far less significant, because there's that there's that moment, and, and I don't I didn't mean this as, in, in any way as a dig. It's just, for me, that moment outside the bar, uh, it just reminds me of an incidental moment in an action movie, like Bruce Willis passing uh, the flight attendant's when he's carrying the big bear at the beginning of Die Hard, or or when he's like sending the just just the facts in the second Die Hard, right. this reminds me of an action hero crossing paths with a, a cute woman, just so that we in the audience know he's hot and he's on the market and what's going on here? <laughs> um, because there was there was this little spark between the two of them. There was this really interesting little moment. She's kind of got an interesting face. I didn't catch anything else that was going on there. Well, and no, then but for then, her to show she... up with the badge is right. really exciting. Right. And that's where it really takes off. Then she cuffs him. Hmm? Uh, let's talk some... 
So I I uh, got quite a uh, I was quite tickled at John Favreau badgering James Badgedale about a badge. <laughs> See badge. what I did there, gentlemen? Badge, badge. <laughs> I, I just laughed because I thought, oh, that's James Badgedale. Surely on the set they're enjoying that because I'm enjoying it. Uh, uh, I love me some J- James Badgedale. Um, Dingus, I, I believe I heard this was your favorite villain in the movie. Oh yeah. Gum guy, yeah, gum guy. I I love him, but I like that actor so much, and I thought he was the best villain in the movie. I didn't think Guy Pierce was all that great. I was hoping that Rebecca Hall was going to wind up to be the Mandarin as we went on. (laughs) I don't think Diggs is clear on the concept of the Mandarin, Kelly Wand. I'm clearly not not. a wool Mandarin. (laughs) Oh, ha ha! (laughs) JK, it is, but um. Uh, Dingus, what makes James Badgedale stand out for you? <laughs> I just like him so. I, I like that guy, and I like that. Uh, I like the way he flew a helicopter. To be honest, chewing gum. <laughs> uh, Dingus, uh, I, I think so. We all saw James Badgedale, and I thought of the thing about that I like about James Badgedale. He's a classic example of just this really watchable actor, and he gets cast as that. Even even in Shame, where he's just kind of a nondescript. Yeah. Sure. Tag along. Uh, he's still fascinating. But uh, when Joe Carnahan used him in the gray to great effect for just one very early important scene, uh, he really stands out. And Dingus, I'm, I'm sorry to have to do this to you. Okay. Kelly Wan, I'm not going to do this to you because I don't think you're as big a James Badgerdale fan. But Dingus, you might have to see Flight. Ew. No, please don't. Me. I, I saw the gray. Isn't that enough? You liked the gray. What's the matter with you? I mean, enough airplane stuff. Oh, well, let's see, what, <laughs> that's the, pretty just, Right. Now, see, the reason, Dingus, that that's I should feel airplanes. bad about recommending Flight is Flight is awful. The Gray is great. We liked we liked the Gray. But James Bedgedale shows up in that's Flight so in, in just, like, one scene, and he's, he's captivating. Uh, you know, the scene comes alive, and then he leaves, and you have to sit through the rest of the movie. But uh, it's just a great <laughs> example of how, you know, just add this guy in, and, and he makes, you know, he makes the scene better. Um, but yeah, I, I quite liked him as well. I also I can never believe that that's really somebody's name. I just can't. And I also love it when he shows up in The Departed. I mean, he kind of also almost makes The Departed right. worth watching. And it's funny watching that scene again. I'm like, oh yeah, he does stand out, and I kind of remember that character. And uh, yeah, he's a very striking fellow. Uh, Kelly Wan, you must be a big fan of Don Cheadle's performance. Yeah, he's way better than that other dude from Crash. <laughs> Huh. I kind of feel bad for – I feel like the movie doesn't really know what to do with Don Cheadle, and Don Cheadle doesn't really know what to do with the movie. Is it just me? Like, I feel he's about as miscast as, as poor John Favreau. Is it just me? Yes, it is. I, well, I don't know. I, I You know, I hate – I'm sorry to have to keep bringing up my 8-year-old, but uh, when we started watching um, – Iron let's Man get him. Too. Let's get him on the podcast then, Dingus. <laughs> I, I would love to. Uh, when Don Cheadle shows up as um, – Lieutenant Rhodes, Rhodey. Rhodes, Rhodey. Rhodes. Uh, my my kid immediately said, "Yeah, that's Rhodey, not the other guy." I mean, he he didn't uh, like. Uh, geez, I can only think of the name Trevor Howard, but that's Terrence, Howard. Like Terrence Howard. Terrence Howard, thank you. Um, I <laughs> like Stamp. Terrence Terrence Stamp, Terrence Howard. Send me a picture of that guy in the in the armor, though. In Iron Man, in the first Iron Man, but uh, but as soon as uh, Don Cheadle shows up in the second movie, my kid goes, "Yeah, th- that's Rhodey, not the other guy." I don't know why he thought that because I was kind of annoyed that they replaced uh, 
Terrence, Terrence, Howard. Terrence Howard. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I feel that Don was just instinctively drawn to Don Cheadle. I, I, Don Cheadle, it can be hit or miss for me, and they do something kind of similar, I guess. There's a movie called The Guard with uh, Brendan Gleeson as this yeah. corrupt Irish cop, and Don Cheadle comes out as an upstanding by the book American FBI agent. And there's this good interplay where Don Cheadle is totally this humorless, stick in the mud dude, and Brendan Gleeson is just a, a schm- uh, you know, is just having fun at his expense. And there's this tension between the two of them. And I'm not crazy about the movie, but the dynamic works. When they're doing like buddy stuff, during the shootout, Don or shootout, it's not a shootout. During the the battle at the, there's some shooting. During the battle at the 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 oil tanker at the end, I, I sort of felt like, you know, this is where it should be more like uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer. Like there should be that sort of dynamic, and I'm just not feeling it with Don Cheadle. Um, well, so I, I was when he when they were doing that whole thing about the clips. They're not universal. I was totally buying with how Don Cheadle because he has both the soldier and bureaucrat. In one little guy, and I like that. You yeah, know? you know, when you put it that way, Dingus, I'm like, oh, I guess that does kind of work. Thanks, Dingus. Go ahead. What other of my points that I made do you want to subvert? <laughs> I don't. None of them. I love them he, all. Tony Stark sucks with a gun, but uh, he's really good with a hand. One, two, three. Really? Well, a couple things come up, Kaliwan. I I just think that we all loved Iron Man 3. I think we can talk about it for another hour. But also, Kaliwan, we have a really rich, in-depth 3x3 this week, and I want to make sure we have lots of time to cover it. You know, I apologize. You're totally right. Kaliwan, let's say... So, so you actually had a better, sort of an irreverent comment to play us over to a three by three? Did you? Maybe right? with John Toll. What can I see Rebecca Hall in, and also what movies is she? <laughs> uh, I think she's actually naked in a terrible horror movie called The Awakening or The Awakened. Mm. Um, so you might What's check that out. Because it's got a the in it and another word. It's also got uh, what's who's the dude from the McNulty from the Wire and the guy from Three Hundred who's the corrupt um, senator? What's his name? Dominic West. Yeah, yeah, I think it's Dominic West. Yeah, so Dominic West, you can also see him naked in the Awakening or the Awakened, if that's your thing, Kelly Wand. So. Uh, she. What is Rebecca? Rebecca Hall is really good in that horrible thing with uh, Javier Bardem about a th- uh, the. Vicky Christina Barcelona. Yeah, I see that because it's about <laughs> she, she's great. And Frost Nixon is in a fairly uh, what would normally be a fairly thankless yeah. part. Oh, I like she her is. in that. That's good. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And she's in that that um. By, oh, Jesus, what's the been at? Oh, uh, the town. She's in the town. Oh, oh the town. Ooh, thank God. Yeah. Is she in Whit Stillman's last movie, which I haven't seen? I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I they could have given her more. But you know what? There's just there's so much to go around for everyone in Iron Man three. Uh, yeah. All right. So good. We all. Yeah. Yes, Kelly. One. Uh, was she supposed to look older? 
No, because she's got regenerative properties. Yeah, uh, because Kelly Wan, she's a hotness. But see. then Downey is going, hey, wait, you look the same age. It must be uh, because something. I love that he looked the same age. Uh, I love that, Ke- well, you know what, maybe not. I, I love that Kelly Wand had the same confusion as that I did about the relationship of Dale Dickey <laughs> to the blown-up soldier. So, so Dale Dickey played Marib in Winter's Bone. We all love her. She shows up briefly as the part of what I thought was the blown-up soldier's wife uh, in, in Iron Man 3. And I was like, well, you know, people oh, right. sensibilities marry each other all the time. It's Tennessee. You know, fair enough. Same part. Typecast. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then Dingus explained to me that that was his mother, <laughs> which I didn't know. Oh, not his wife? That's what I thought, Kelly Wand. But she apparently... needs the volcano CG. That's the difference between her. <laughs> All right, wonder, uh, doesn't he say the line, your son didn't commit suicide? Mm, I probably wasn't listening. I was uh, busy thinking, yay, it's Marib. <laughs> I was somebody else, too. I read a thing in Variety where they added some scenes in it for the Chinese release. In the like product placement of like milk drinks and stuff, and they added a character named Doctor Wu and like a lab assistant for like a four minute scene that we didn't when, get to see. When do we when do we get to see that? We don't. And they they didn't like it. They're all what? This is makes it, this seems shoehorned in. Did That's they right. change the name of the villain from the Mandarin to something else? He turns out to be from a different uh, part of Britain. Well, all right, there we go. Fascinating one. Right. Kelly Wan, it only goes uphill from here. Kelly Wan, what's this week's 3x3? Three three? <laughs> right. Well, okay, remember how that one week was ago, I'm going to try and get more girl submissions? Yes. I thought for some reason lip sync would trick them into it, because it's kind of like karaoke, I thought, maybe. But they weren't biting. <laughs> this is the weakest. It's the worst topic ever. You don't say. <laughs> but I'm, I can't wait to see what you, the professional of the three of us, did with it. Because right. you're a grown man, mm-hmm. and, yes, and uh, you know, all right. You're the uh, I almost, I almost resorted to Ashley Simpson's appearance on Saturday Night Live, but I, I did fortunately find three movies I could use. Uh, my number three pick for favorite use of lip syncing in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Tarzan, where Glenn Close lip syncs for Andy McDowell, or the other that's way. Not, that's not the name of the movie. Try again. Tarzan, uh, King uh, of the Jungle, not the one with Bo Derek. One more time. Tarzan, Jungle Man. No. To civilization. The, the, the movie jungle. does not it does not start with the word Tarzan. Is his name even in it? Bo Derek's lines in it. Is his name even in Tarzan? Whose name? Say it. Say it. It's Tarzan's. Gotcha. The mighty Tarzan. <laughs> the amazing Shazam, the Shazameter. <laughs> I don't know it's, what is the movie, and is it horrible? By the way, it's called Greystoke. It's Greystoke, the Legend of Tarzan, King it's of the Apes. God damn it, Me Greystoke. And Tom, know his last name. What is that's his Greystoke is his name. What's an that even? Lord. He's Lord Greystoke. Lord Greystoke. Come on, Tarzan is a lord. Yeah, he's a nobleman. Then he goes what? back later, and it's it's terrible. Wait, he gets knighted? I guess it's not knighted. No, it started out. He becomes uh, he becomes landed gentry in England. Yeah, he goes with Jane instead of Law, the chick who gave him could give him more immortality. It's really a bad call. But yeah, he's super uh, shit. Do you know does, that? Does, does Tarzan, Lord of Greystoke, hold up better than Capricorn One? That's all I want to know. 
<laughs> I don't really like Greystoke. It was a movie, uh, what's his name, Robert Town took his name off of. <laughs> Robert Town wrote that? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's awesome. The movie he took his name off of, as if that was the only one. Didn't, didn't he do that a lot? Tom, the three most famous uh, iconic figures are Sherlock Holmes, Tarzan, and Superman. So, since you played Sherlock Holmes, if you played Tarzan, there's... <laughs> Greystoke, Greystoke, I've dropped my banana. <laughs> no one knows what you guys are talking about, thank God. Steve acting when he says that for once, instead of normal times. Oh, guys. Uh, all right, so did I scoop anyone, by the way? Did anyone else pick this? That's so it famously what talking about. You totally broke my topic. How dare you? What are you talking about? Andy McDowell appeared That's in the movie. Tough. The studio. Well, you're, you're, you know, I was. I knew we were going to have this fight, and I'm glad Tom uh, is at the vanguard of it because dubbing. He knows it's it, wrong, and he's doing the, it. No, 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 no. Dubbing and lip syncing are related. You're. Well, gonna how are they not deal with that? Yeah, how yeah, are they like, not like, the exact same thing? Except the direction that the, the audio signal goes varies. Otherwise, they're the exact same thing. Because you're saying you're like you could call any movie and then go, oh look, but it's in Spanish. It's been dubbed in Spanish, so that. Well, well, wait till you hear my. You didn't make it clear that the actor was doing the lip syncing because dubbing. It was stupid enough about that. But I didn't think thinking did. lips. Sorry, Kelly. Right, Tom yeah. had to. Tom had to fall back on a crutch to finish the topic. Well, so, Kelly, one, I think you'll particularly enjoy my number two pick, which we'll get to shortly. But first, Dingus, what's your number three pick? They for fully, this? Are, fully the snake sounds in, in Capricorn One. So that's. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll we almost chose the snake, just so you know. That's true. What about for the topic? (laughs) (laughs) All right, Diggis, what's your number three pick for favorite lip syncing in a movie? All right, here's a quote from it. (laughs) I have not yet learned how to joke that way. I think now I never will. I always feel dumb about my acting until I hear Diggis do something. (laughs) That's how everybody feels at any audition I've ever gone to. Sounds like some Woody Allen. Is Is it Back to America? Jeez, Woody Allen. Sounds like a Christmas special with stop motion in it. (laughs) Elves. Yeah, by the way, I loved you in Christmas Story. (laughs) Very nice, Dinkus. There's like different kids in that movie, too. There's that kid and the autograph kid and then the kid kid. And he (laughs) sneers at all of them. Oh, I loved you, Christmas Story. That was so precious. Thank, thank you, Shane Black. Oh, I just want to say that. Thank you, Shane. Canadians laughed. The only this may interest you vaguely. The only yes. okay, I've been here a year in Canada, and the only audience or the only movie the audience clapped and cheered for after it was Argo. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Well, it's about them. Yeah, that's their contribution. Yeah, that's not getting contribution, except well, I guess it's mostly. I don't know. They seem to buy into it. Like, yeah, America's hostages are our hostages. They bought the snake well. Okay, number three. All right, this is also dubbing, which requires extensive lip syncing, because you are syncing lips to dialogue. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And this is Marnie Nixon doing the singing for Natalie Wood in West Side Story. But, oh, God, what is, what is Dingus on about? First of all, West Side Story is not a movie. It's a musical. Yeah, oh, it's so a musical. I remember him asking this, and I let him have it, because I go, it'll be such a fertile topic that musicals won't even come up. Won't even come up. Well, you know what musical they didn't lip sync? That's Les Miserables. So there, you know we won't be picking that one, Kelly Wand. They were dubbed because you couldn't see the heads or the faces. Dig uh, say that again. Who's doing what to the whom in the in in the what in West Side Story? What? All right. So uh, Natalie Wood is playing Maria, 
And every time when we were talking about um, the movie that we just talked about, Iron Man 3, whenever Kelly would talk about uh, Gwyneth Paltrow yelling, Tony, Tony, all I could think of was, Maria, Maria. So anyway, uh, in West Side Story, famously, Natalie Wood's singing is dubbed by a, a singer named Marnie Nixon, who famously did a lot, like I think The King and I, um, something else that doesn't quite come to mind. But uh, but Marnie Nixon did the singing for Natalie Wood. Wait, why? Could Natalie Wood not sing or something? What's up with that? Uh, she Her register wasn't quite right. So Marnie Nixon did the singing. But Marnie Nixon did uh, quite a bit of singing for other actresses. But uh, my favorite is the uh, the singing that she did for uh, Natalie Wood in West Side Story, because that's one of my favorite musicals. Kelly Wand, what's a register? Uh, it's something Shakespeare wrote. They turned into a musical. <laughs> hey, Kelly Wand, can you regulate? Uh. <laughs> Nice. Dingus, you're on fire. That's how soldiers talk. <laughs> He's slang. Uh, all right, so uh, Natalie Wood apparently... Story. Oh, which song? So that's, since, that's part of my uh, prerequisites. Obviously. Oh, sorry, I feel pretty. But the no, song... Yeah, but which song? song. <laughs> <laughs> we are so he pretty. Won. He said it first. Yeah, that's true. All right, Kelly Wan, what is your number three pick for lip-syncing in a movie, a topic that you thought would be a great three-by-three? Three? Well, remember, I had my first choice we'd already done, so this was mine. Well, this will change that tone of yours. My number three choice is in Bruno when his urethra shrieks Bruno when he's showing the thing to the guy. All right, that's my number three. Tom, where's you go? I don't even know what he just said. Is Look, Bruno I found th- three things that kind of work that aren't dubs, you fucking cheaters. So God. Bruno's the name of a movie, or the movie's called In Bruno. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know where Bruno is. <laughs> it's in Belgium. Or, no, I think it's his number two is uh, Mel Gibson's dub in Mad Max. Oh! Oh, no. Um, I don't even feel bad ruining it. Kelly, one, tell me again, in Bruno, what happens to the what and the where? What? Oh, he's pitching a TV show to uh, focus groups of soccer moms and shit. And so um, there's like some stop motion animation of his uh, of his dick. Dancing. What's this? What Dingus? Do you know what movie he's talking about? <laughs> I think he's talking about the the. Um, so it's like a musical. Bruno, jeez, oh, what? I don't even remember what the original movie was for uh, Ali Borat. G. Oh, Borat. He's talking about Borat's other movie, Bruno. That was in Borat and. Oh, that. Oh, Bruno. Right. No, I've actually seen that. Okay. Right. I've never seen it. Do you know what he's talking about? I don't remember. Bruno's terrible. I mean, it's a, it's poor Sasha Baron Cohen. I mean, it, it's... so his urethra talks. It sings. <laughs> That's your lip syncing. Yeah. All right. I thought, yeah, I thought for it's not because lip- it's not lips. So that's how I broke it. Okay, just hmm. remember what I said before the podcast, Tom. If they had lips, it'd be really distracting. Also, so Kelly, want any animated thing? That doesn't that like an in a, like for instance the teapot in Beauty and the Beast. I could use that. <laughs> I yeah, almost chose. Uh, yeah, okay. Let me change Not my number blue. one. See, probably spoke. Yeah, actually, you know what? I'm going to throw you guys for a loop. Hold on, let me try this down. Candelabra, Beauty and the Beast. Okay, good. There's my new number one. All right, uh, my number two pick for uh, lip syncing uh, is uh, the English dubbed version of Das Boot, the entire movie, uh, because of how, if you're going to dub 
a movie, German to English isn't as bad as some languages. The German, the, the English dubbing, dubbed version of Das Boot is actually kind of passable. You can kind of get away with it. I mean, I, it, it, it definitely helps hearing the guttural German. You know, it's a German U-boat. It's an integral part of what the movie is getting at. But if you can't be arsed to read subtitles, you could do worse than the, the English dubbing of Das Boot. So they that's didn't my change number two. The title? Oh, I'm sorry. The boat. <laughs> sorry, I screwed that up. God. Wait, like, Tom. You, you, what kind you, of sick fucking culture is three words for the? That's just Tom. Funny. What's the name of the movie? You just move your lips. The boat. That's my number one pick. Is Dingus dubbing my pick for my number two pick of lip syncing? But we'll get so to that. when the Germans lips, they dub these podcasts in future centuries for reasons I won't bother to explain. <laughs> Uh, that's the end of my point. You All right, well, two five seven one. Just be happy you didn't. Oh, yeah. Tom, uh, yes, you're letting him pick on me. You're supposed to be a referee here. Dingus, be nice to Kelly Wand. Thank you, Dingus. Dingus, he's having a rough three by three. <sighs> All right. I promise this won't happen again. Till no, no, this is awesome, Kelly. Wait till you get to my number one. I can't wait. Uh, actually, I am looking forward to talking about number one. So I've been talking with Dingus about this this week, about, oh, God, what a stupid three by three. I can't think of anything. Literally like ten minutes before the podcast started, I love my number one. I, I know you guys have never even heard of it. I can't wait to tell you about it, uh, my number one. But first, let's go to Dingus. Dingus, give us a quote from your number two pick for favorite lip syncing in a movie. All right, here's a quote. We hear you pay good money to sing into a can. Oh, brother, where art thou? Very good. Uh, I love that. Uh, yeah, I, uh, Dingus is doing well. You're, Dingus, you're on fire if you can work an Iron Man 3 He's quote doing songs. into this reveal about what your 3x3 three three is. Uh, oh, crap. No, I can't. How would I do that? Well, you know, just talk about it, and if an occasion comes up, maybe grab it. Are my right. choices Iron Man? Three of them was hard <laughs> to come up with, but fuck wand. Of course, this is a man constant sorrow, and uh, this is George Clooney not singing that, but rather Dan Tominsky, um, Harley Allen, and Pat Enright singing "Man of Constant Sorrow" instead of uh, George Clooney. In what movie, Dinkus? That would be "Oh Brother, Where Art Thou." <laughs> he said that, and you said I, it. You both said it, and you made I him say it again. <laughs> Hate you. And Dingus, what's the name of the song? <laughs> I am a man of constant sorrow. Uh, I love the story. Actually, are you, do you want to tell us? Well, go ahead, no, Dingus. No, go ahead. Jump in. I, I just love, I, it's one of these apocryphal things. I mean, I never trust any time an actor or whatever is interviewed about a movie. I always feel like their publicist told them to say that. But I feel like George Clooney, it's self-deprecating enough that it probably uh, is true. But he's talked about when uh, they were filming No Brother or Art Thou, he decided he wanted to, to sing the song. He wanted to try doing it himself. And the and so they, they shot the scene, and he did the song, and the 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 way that he knew that there, were no, there was no way they were going to do that is that after that scene, nobody would make eye contact with him. <laughs> and apparently he just did not, he could not hit the notes or he just didn't have the voice for it. And they were all, everybody on the crew was too sheepish to say anything to him. Wait, which one of them? Uh, George Clooney in uh, a movie called Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? The song is called Man of Constant Sorrow. But it's, it's so good. It's so good the way he does it. I don't I don't know the process for how they actually did this. Cause, uh, but 
you know, it looks like he's saying it. And yeah. when you watch the movie, you think, maybe George Clooney did that. <laughs> and I love that they say, no, we didn't. And he says, yeah, I couldn't. I See, read uh, trades, though, that he did all his own acting. <laughs> except for except for the very end of Michael Clayton. <laughs> uh, Kelly Wan, what is your number two pick for lip syncing in a movie? Hey, this one's kind of good. Mm-hmm. In Pee Wee's Big Adventure, they make that movie of his life, and then he plays the bellhop. Oh, this is a good one. Yeah, see? And then they lip sync him so he's got like a manly voice, even though his lines don't. I mean, he keeps like trying not to look at the camera. It's funny. Oh, I do like Page, that. Paging Mr. Herman. Paging Mr. Remember? Herman. See? <laughs> Think has saved it. Very good. All right, you guys ready? Well, let me tell you. Here's, here's why I like this one. Uh, it lets me talk about a little-known horror movie that nobody's seen, nobody's heard of. Uh, probably nobody but me and maybe four or five other people in the world would like, uh, but that I really like it. That's uh, something is my prediction. Nope, there's no definite article before this movie, mm-hmm. so it could refer to any sound studio. This movie is called Barbarians. <laughs> <laughs> Barbarian Laser King. It's not even fun. Barbarian Sound Studio. This is an actual horror movie. Now, let me give you guys the setup. Barbarian Sound Studio. Can, can I guess from that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Kelly Wand, I tell you, Kelly Wand, I want you to watch a movie called Barbarian Sound Studio. <laughs> Kelly Wand, I want you to now predict what this movie will be about, what it's They're like. They're in mm-hmm. Studio City. Okay. And then um, a Time Warp opens, and it's like a leprechaun comes out, like in leprechaun movies, but it's barbarians, but they're evil. And then they decide yeah, people. I, I think I haven't articulated the name of it clearly enough. Let me try one more time. Ready? <clears throat> Excuse me. Here we go. Burburian. Oh, Burburian. Oh, it right. sounded like uh, one of those rhythm games for the PSP. <laughs> you have to match to the sound of J-pop yeah. songs. You have to press the button. No, uh, I think Berber isn't a Berber uh, a kind of a North African uh, ethnicity. Oh God, here we go. I could I be wrong about this. It's a Danish um, royal family, if I may. You may not. Uh, so, Barbarian Sound Studio. It opens with with Toby Jones. You guys know who Toby Jones is. He was yeah, in, the guy uh, who played Capote, not in the uh, what call it one. Right, the, the non Capote, the non Philip Seymour Hoffman Capote. Thank you. Uh, he was also uh, one of the guys in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Uh, I really liked him in a movie called The Painted Veil, which John Curran directed. Oh um, yeah. He's, he's been around for a while. Toby Jones, he, he's sort of a funny-looking, very ungainly fellow, but a really, really good actor. So Berberian Sound Studio is him showing up at, at the Berberian Sound Studio in Italy, where he's, been, he's, he's an English sound uh, editor who's been called to work on an Italian movie. And I think it's even a, it's a period piece because of all the great avionics and stuff. It's like in the 70s. So he's like, oh, you know, I'm going to go work with Fellini. Like, that's the idea that he has. And it turns out he's working on a crappy Italian horror movie. Mm-hmm. So it's about Toby Jones. And it's this really weird psychological um, horror movie where – in a way, nothing happens. I kind of, I don't want it, it, to. It's, it's all style, basically, and it gets really weird and sort of David Lynchy. It's an English director named Peter Strickland. Um, so Toby Jones shows up to 
to do the sound for what turns out to be a trashy horror movie. And the really cool gimmick in this movie is that we never see the film he's working on, but we see the effect it has on him and his disappointment and how he doesn't understand the culture and the people and what they want from him uh, and how he misses home and how he's affected by having to do sounds for all of these grotesque, violent images on screen and how he reacts to that. Um, And part of the really cool scenes are they bring in these actresses to basically do screams in a sound booth. And the the way Peter Strickland shoots some of these, these scenes, it's just like really chilling and scary to just see a woman in a tight booth just sort of screaming. Um, and there's also really there's cool scenes where the women are doing the dialogue, and that sort of leads you to imagine what's on the screen, but you never see it. You never see a glimpse of this horror movie. And it's all about how it basically undoes toby jones as a proper englishman in uh in italy in the 70s it sounds like blowout a little bit oh well very clearly influenced by that and a lot of blowouts sort of love of sound technology and, and, and dials and needles and, and you know tapes running through those uh those old uh tape player things yeah and screams yep very much screams uh the, the, the awesome opening scene is him coming up to a desk with a receptionist and there's all this like screaming in the background and nobody's really reacting to it um so that, that's my number one, is uh, the cool stuff that they play with with uh, doing the post-Foley work, including the dialogue stuff. I guess it's still dubbing uh, in Berberian, Ber- 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 Berberian uh, sound studio. <laughs> there Wait, are no what's barbarians the actual um, part that you're calling the number one? Like his particular... All the lip syncing. All the lip syncing. Okay. Yes. yes. A.K.A. dubbing. The whole movie. <laughs> Got it. All right, so uh, Dingus, this movie's not for you. Kelly Wand, I bet you would dig it. All right, I'll watch it tonight. Dingus, what is your number one pick for lip syncing in a motion picture? Maybe give us a quote from it. Here's a quote from it Don, keep your eyes riveted on my face. <laughs> for a minute, it sounded like Dingus couldn't. Re- I was going to drop the line, like he couldn't remember it. I, I didn't get the rhythm right. I think it's it's more like Don, keep your eyes riveted on my face. I don't know. It sounds weird. Uh, I haven't seen it. Is it uh, Incredible Mr. Limpet? Here's the, here's the next uh, next uh, little bit of the quote. Good morning, good morning. Watch my mouth. Good morning, Vietnam. Mm. Oh, watch my mouth. Uh, it's Chris Tucker in um, uh, uh, the thing, the, that Chris Tucker, Jackie Chan, uh, Rush Hour. Rush premium, pre- yeah, premium Rush Hour. Oh, Jesus. Uh, as soon as Kelly mentioned this, this is the only one that came to mind. I thought it was the only one I would get. And this is the absolute perfect uh, embodiment of this topic. Of course, it's uh, why lip syncing was invented. Um, it's the movie uh, Singing in the Rain. And the specific moment, Kelly Wan, since you were going to ask, is not that awful moment at the end, which is really mean-spirited and kind of, for me, when I watch Singing in the Rain, kind of makes me feel... Uh, kind of oogie when you see um, Gene Hagen get shown up by the way they pull up the curtain and you see Debbie Reynolds behind her singing and she's lip syncing. But it's when don't this is you shush when Donald O'Connor. When I, Donald, I gotta say, Diggis, real quick. I gotta say, I, I know that our the eighty year old listeners for this podcast are loving your pick. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. All of them. But it's when when Donald O'Connor is uh, is telling. Uh, or showing for uh, 
for them both, why... I don't even know why I'm explaining this to you, goofballs. <laughs> no, I love your commitment. Does it rain the whole movie? So so what they decide to do is, is that, uh, you know, this is why the artist bothered me so much as a movie, because this is... Singing in the Rain is the artist. It's just done well. With you know, sound. <laughs> it's done well in 1952 instead of last year. So anyway, um, they've got this movie called The Dueling Cavalier, and they decide, hey, we're going to make a musical out of it. Sound is the big thing. Let's just make this into a musical, and we're going to do it. And then, unfortunately, Don says, we can't because she can't sing. And then Donald O'Connor, who's so awesome, says, oh, no, this is how we're going to do it. And he makes Debbie Reynolds start singing, and then he puts her behind him, and he does this demonstration of what lip-syncing is, which lip-syncing hasn't been invented yet. But he invents it in this moment in this movie. And he does it with her standing behind him with this great, expressive, beautiful face. And he does this, good morning, good morning. And he points, he says, watch my mouth. I I love the comic timing of this moment. And this lip syncing in that moment is easily the best lip syncing ever in the history of lip syncing. So there you go, singing in the rain. Kelly Wand, if I'd known that Dingus was going to use this as an opportunity to continue his rage and hatred towards the artist i would have mocked him throughout that that blow yeah yeah that's just mean he speaks for those who can't speak because they're silent (laughs) i've been doing that the whole time but i just haven't been speaking so singing in the rain stars the one of the stars of towering inferno right um sure many of them it was a prequel (laughs) The rain was going to put out the inferno, but then the singing. Uh, it re- <laughs> did, did you guys see the trailer? Actually, I'm pretty sure you did, Dingus. What's that Wong Kar Wai movie where dudes karate fight in the rain? Uh, Lisa narrows it down. <laughs> no, not not Wong Kar Kar Wong. Oh, I'm, scr- I'm such a white guy. Car-wong. What? What is it, Kelly Wand? Help me out here. I was making fun of you. I wasn't trying to help you. Wong Kar Wai? Did I screw that ah, up? Listen to him. So racist. I know. Uh, <laughs> at any rate, he's a he's a famous director, and and he does like these these heartfelt love stories. Um, and there's a trailer for for it's just dudes doing karate chopping and whatnot in slow motion. Oh, did we rain. just see that recently? Yeah. Yeah, and then oh, it's it, and like then, the Grandmaster or something. Right. Exactly. That's exactly right. Ding. It's the Grandmaster, and then it comes up a film by <laughs> Wong Kar Wai, and I was like, what? Why is he doing some goofy karate movie? Uh, yeah, it's just karate guys in the rain, and it's it, you know it might as well be like one of the Step Up movies, but with karate fighting instead of dancing. Uh, Which isn't goofy to you. You'll go see Pitch Perfect and go, that's serious entertainment. Kelly Wong, karate is in the mud, which is much harder. I have a question. Well, I just want to tell Kelly Wong real quick that Kelly Wong, if Brianna Evigan will display her midriff in rain or shine, I will show up to watch that movie. If it has a All belt right. on it that's black, I'll watch. <laughs> uh, Dingus, now your turn. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I, I should have covered this hours ago. Clash of the Titans, Dingus. Stay out of here. You don't want to Tell me, Did you actually see Iron Three Man in 3D? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. I did. How'd it's that work out? Um, you know. I can't think of a single thing where I was like, oh, that would have been cool in 3D. Yeah, I, I didn't really notice it. I'm wondering if all the flying bits of armor would have worked. No. Oh, that, that slow mo- I guess that slow-mo scene where he armorizes Gwyneth Paltrow, maybe. But otherwise... All right. Because we yeah. didn't, and I was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, back to your regularly scheduled 3x3. All right, are we done with this 3x3? Where are we now? 
Amazing Rain, they also invented the fog machine for that movie. Because the mm. rain. Okay. What, Don? <laughs> Kelly Wand, uh, I think, I think you even mentioned Singing in the Rain. It is the perfect lip-syncing movie. That's, what, that's why it was invented. Dingus, the reason none of us mentioned it is because nobody under the age of 80 has seen it. Uh, I made my, my kids' friends watch it because they... Well, never mind. Oh, I can't believe you forced children to watch a grandpa movie. That's just terrible. The director I used to joke about it, and one of the kids goes, oh, yeah, that's from Mary Poppins. And then I dragged them into <laughs> the front of the TV and made them watch The Singing in the Rain. He's oh, that's Mary Poppins? That's weird, too. Yeah. I, yeah, nobody's seen that movie either. It's like, uh, whatever. Uh, I think I might have seen Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Does that count? No. Sing- oh, that's a good one. Rain fucking rocks, you jerks. That's that that should be on the box with Dingus's name signed to it. That's his review. <laughs> the guy oh, yeah. directed uh, Chipwreck told me the same thing Dingus does. It's really good. It's, it's about movies. It's totally. It's not what you think it is. Like I don't like musicals. So no, this transcends. It's All right, weird. Kelly Wan, come on over, and you and I will make some popcorn. Uh, we'll open a nice bottle of white wine, and we'll watch Singing in the Rain. You and I'll me see together you next weekend. It sounds awesome. very good. I look forward to that. Yes, but first, Kelly Wand, I need to know your number one pick for limp syncing in a in a movie. Oh, Michael Winslow, Police Academy. <laughs> I should have seen that coming. All right, Kelly Wand, what what do we have from our listeners? They're not they impressed. Were away in, not impressed. All right. Oh, oh, no one. Uh, we got two. Okay, well, it's two people were impressed. Fred Three. Winter, it's about butterscotch, but since that's not about lip sync, I'm gonna. Uh, what the hell, Kelly? Really? Right, it's Paul Weimer. <laughs> Paul Weimer, as usual, has his finger on the pulse of three by threes. I agree with I agree with Paul Weimer. No, I forgive him for misspelling Willem Dafoe's name. Good job, Paul. <laughs> it's William that? Dafoe, Dingus William Dafoe. William Dafoe. Which part did he misspell by the way? Did he say did he call it William or did he spell him his name like the writer of Robinson Crusoe? No, he pronou- he spelled it D of <laughs> Robinson Crusoe. <laughs> I like Tom's one. Sorry, what? <laughs> It was the apostrophe. Go back to mocking the only guy who listens to us. Thanks, Willem. And right, no matter how stupid the topic is, he's still there. He refuses to go down. Oh, okay, uh, I got mocked for picking this topic, which I think I vindicated. Is our Ferris Bueller... That what you think it means. Avenge doesn't mean what the Avengers think it means. Um... This is about good old-fashioned avenge. <laughs> Wait, that would be a really good line. Very good, Dingus. See, Dingus knows what's up. That's my real point. Oh, t- Paul Weimer's are Ferris Bueller lip-syncing Twist and Shout. So that's kind of like a Dingus one because it's a song. And then number two, Dean Stockwell. Sync, lip syncs Roy Orbison's In Dreams and Blue Velvet, which I haven't seen since it came out. Am I the only one? Watch Blue uh, I actually did Google this topic because, good Lord, I couldn't figure out anything. And there were there were a couple of mentions of Blue Velvet, which I haven't seen in forever either, so I didn't pick Wait, that. Wait, you typed in lip sync and Blue Velvet <laughs> came out. Kelly Wan, I found out a lot. If you have any questions about the whole incident where Ashley Simpson lip synced one of her songs on Saturday Night Live... I found out a lot about that when I Googled this topic. So no, she not, said it was... It was not a waste of my time. She blamed yes, so, her band. What did yeah. She well, no, no. no. That, for, that was her first excuse. Her second excuse, which is probably the more accurate one, is, is an acid reflux situation, so she couldn't use her voice. Then why so did she rather say than, the band, it was the band's fault? 
if it was acid reflux. Yeah, it's a reflux situation by Robert Ludlum. <laughs> At any rate, uh, even dumber than the truth. Never mind. So okay, so uh, Ferris <laughs> Bueller, uh, okay. uh, Blue Velvet. What oh. else did Paul have? Three or just two? Back, no, I had number one. Yeah, number one's Rebecca Del Rio playing herself at the club Silencio, lip syncs to a Spanish version of "Crying for You" and Mulholland Drive. Another David Lynch movie. So he has two David Lynches. David Lynch loves lip syncing, and he loves swapping out Balthazar Getty for other actors. Does the Eraserhead baby count as lip syncing? Or was that the noise of the thing? <laughs> it counts as much as lip syncing as, uh, I guess, the police academy guy. So sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, Kelly, what else do we got from our listeners? So our only, okay, that was half of our two. Mm-hmm. And then Andrew Neller. That sounds like a new name. Have we? Ever, I don't know that we've heard. Andrew Miller, you said? Andrew and Anne. No. It sounds, it's Berberian sounds to do <laughs> <laughs> Long-time listeners to the podcast. When people write that, I always feel bad for them <laughs> for some reason. Like, ah, oh, they've heard it all. But enough about me. Andrew posts Trios on the forums, or Trios. Yikes, at first we weren't sure what to do with this at all. We thought of one that may be in the right category. Sidebar, if Tom Virginia's selling Kelly, CR Man 3, I bet he'd say, I don't see movies with the name of a metal in them. <laughs> Uh, true. Second sidebar, in my theater part of three, the Hangover Part 3 trailer played when it reached the part with giraffe decapitations implied, the audience collectively groaned, while one guy rode back, period. Okay. <laughs> Where's I the better read that. Wait, yeah, I'm, I can't... Read? Andrew Neller, send us the rest of that sentence. So it doesn't look like it's too dumb to read it, which is what I know these two fuckers are thinking right now. But anyway, they have only two for us, and then two runners up, which makes four. But they apologize by going, I only have two for you guys. And then the second one's the Blue Velvet one, and the other one is Othello, the movie. I guess I haven't seen it. Judge you from that silence. Orson Welles. No, no, Orson Welles was was famous for for using lips uh, dubbing. Yeah, yeah, that's good actually. Tom Once again, for our for our eighty year old listeners, enjoy this uh, discussion. Right in, so that's we should <laughs> honor them. Wait, Orson Welles was famous for dubbing the voices of his actors. Did you call him Orson Welles? I said Orson Welles. I know his name. Edward James Olmos. Orson Orson Welles, writer of War of the Worlds. Everybody knows that. No, he's famous for messing around with voices, and I think he did it with Othello, didn't he? He, he That's right yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. I a, can't take an Orson Welles Othello seriously, any more than I could take an Olivier Othello. Because it's supposed to be a black dude? Well, it's supposed to be like a big, I don't know, I don't, I'm not, I don't understand the whole Olivier thing, other than as a murderous Nazi dentist. Um, but even Orson Welles, I mean, I, I get, you know, I do like Third Man, that's kind of a grandpa movie. But I just, I, Othello, yeah, like Othello to me presents... Just such this strong visual impact. I don't want to see some dopey guy in blackface do it. Did you see Boys from Brazil? Speaking of seventies, you know what? No, should I? That's oh, yes. All the, but I, I know the reveal. I know the reveal. Oh, you do. Oh, yeah. I kind of did too, and it didn't totally ruin it because there's some okay. good acting in it. 
I want to remember. Go ahead, Dingus. No, go ahead, Tom. Well, I'm on a kick with seeing like movies from that. It was part of me forcing Dingus to watch Capricorn One, watching Terrence, you know. So I want to see things like Three Days of the Condor, which Dingus ah, to see. I love that movie so much, and it makes me think too of like Boys from Brazil. And what's that? That terrorist in the chateau with the scene on the cable car thing. It has. It might be from a Ludlum novel. It's something like the Fox. Iger Sanction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one. Iger Sanction's awesome. I mean, I want to see things like that. George Kennedy's really funny on that movie. You should watch yeah. it. Wait, Dingus, did you see that movie? Irish yeah, Sanction. I love that movie. I oh, mean, I think it's, it's, it's a really show. good Clint Eastwood movie. Yeah, yeah it's super good. It's Clint really... Eastwood? Yeah. He did it. He didn't direct it, but he's in it. I think it's Don Siegel directed it. But there's a CIA agent who's like... Don Siegel, Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Don Siegel? Uh, yeah. How many are... It's not a common name. Well, isn't that the guy who did the original Invasion? I mean, that makes me want to see it. If it's the guy, because I like that 50s Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's it's really funny. You it's, should see it. There's some, I remember, I remember lines of, Yeah, there's lines of dialogue in it that I rem, that I have memorized, which I can't see it about too many movies. Okay. It's well, no, really so at any at any rate, I do want to see Boys from Brazil. What what made you bring that up, Kelly Wand? Oh, just because it's Olivier in the 70s. And- oh, right, right, right. So we were talking about Othello, and Dingus, I cut you off. Uh, sorry about that. What were you going to say? <laughs> I was just going to say, I remember when Mel Gibson was doing all the press for Hamlet, the Zeffirelli Hamlet that he did. Right. And he, he was talking about the research that he did and having seen a bunch of really bad Othellos. Absolutely. Yeah. And, like, actors in blackface, and he's just like, I, I don't understand what they're doing. There's just this guy up on stage going, put out delight, and put out delight. Oh, Mel. <laughs> yeah, right. And that was a taste of things to come. <laughs> By the way, have you guys seen the trailer for, uh, is it Haley Steinfeld, that uh, that adorable girl that was from True Grit, who was so awesome in True Grit? Have you seen the trailer for the uh, Romeo and Juliet that she's doing? Oh, no. What? Oh, it looks awful. Uh, so let's see. Leslie Mann is the nurse. We have uh, Paul Giamatti as the friar. And I'm not joking about this at all. The it's a nurse. real thing. Uh, there's some, like, no-name TV <laughs> dude uh, who's playing Romeo. Uh, who else is in it? Lord Capulet is someone. Uh, but at any rate, it, Haley Steinfeld, did I get her name right? Is that the truth? Who does Lord Capulet play in it? Ah, very good, Kelly Wall. Ah! Podcast. <laughs> is that a what yeah, yeah. So it's a filmed version of Romeo and Juliet, and it's Haley Steinfeld's like next big thing. I, I think. Is it's Romeo like, and Juliet one of those things where if you know the ending, you probably kind of never want to need to see it. I don't think so. I mean, I, I think it's a uh, it can be a good showcase for actors, and and certainly if you want to do the thing is too like Boz Lerman's Romeo and Juliet just had this bold style to it, but this just looks like a traditional, just classic old Verona setting. Put them in goofy costumes. Um, it doesn't seem like there's any sort of... There's another Shakespeare movie. What You Do About Nothing, Joss Whedon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're excited that, about that? Does that have a unique angle to it, or is it just Joss well, Whedon? Well, it's modern yeah. day. Well, maybe. But to keep the dialogue the same. I still want to see Dingus... You know, I still want to see Coriolanus, which Dingus swears is good. The Ray Fiennes one, so... I'm a big fan of people doing cool things with Shakespeare. It's just, and even people doing normal things with Shakespeare. And the, the point is far from knowing the end. Kelly, were you kidding Oh, yeah, uh, plus Kelly uh, yeah, was. You're a moron in the pool. It's funny you should bring up Buzz Lerman, though, Ellipsis. St- wait, stand by, wait for it. Wait, right, so I think we have, uh, we have, uh, this has been an extreme tangent from who's, uh, Andrew Miller? We had, we had a new person right here. Did we? Okay, so it's did Andrew. JK. Um, 
did we finish uh, his, his suggestions first? Or, well, Othello, Runners Up, Ferris Bueller, Dirty Dancing. <laughs> Does he say more about Dirty Dancing? Uh, we heard yeah. what- Lover Boy, this is only on here because How I Met Your Mother <laughs> did a great send-up of this. <laughs> I'm reading on the internet something someone saw on How I Met Your Mother, where they digitally put NPH's head on Swayze's body. It's like the dancing baby. I have never heard anything that made me want to see How I Met Your Mother until now. Wow. I go, I watched, I kind of like the Neil Patrick Harris character, but all the other characters are boring. Kelly Wan, how do you feel about that poor guy being let go from Three and a Half Men? Oh, the little, the kid who's called it filth. <laughs> Looks like John Cryer is alone. He's the, <laughs> the last man Smith. standing. Yeah. He's the Jacqueline Smith and the, the religious <laughs> kids. Um, why is that? I mean, I've never watched that show, but I think I saw part of one of the Ashton Kutcher ones, and it was all—it was very serious. And like he was talking about, and he had almost drowned, and he was like wet still from three episodes earlier. I will maybe, maybe Ty Simpkins get some work now. <sighs> Dingus, too soon. <laughs> Ty Simpkins is is coming back in Insidious two, and hopefully he won't be comatose throughout the entire movie. Maybe he'll wake up for this one. Unlike John Favreau and oh oh. All three, no. I love Downton Abbey. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, so painful. So pa- oh, yeah, and only painful because everything else was so good. To like have these weird Downton Abbey product placements right up there with the Verizon and the Ford product placement, and then also Downton Abbey. It's like, oh, yeah. And the, the Fi- was it Fios that you said? Yeah, yeah, Verizon. Verizon Fios. Like he, he sets the kids' <laughs> wife, or he sets the kids' IS... P up, I guess, with Verizon. And Dingus, we even brought this up. Can you can you get uh, can can you give like a ten year old kid a Ford Mustang? Yeah, Who's, that's allowed. Okay. What's he going to do with that? Exactly. Yeah. He can only drive it in that garage. <laughs> <laughs> he can sit there and sort of turn the wheel. It's right. The law now. of the land. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe in Tennessee they have a lower driving age. It's also know. the one he stole too. The car he stole. Uh, I don't remember that part. Fuck you, Wand. <laughs> Kelly Wand, are you guys ready for next week's 3x3? Can we please move are on? Are we? All right. So I mentioned that I watched Towering Inferno. Um, I because like we did a 3x3 three three about movie posters, and I brought up how much, just as a kid, I loved those old disaster movie posters, and Towering Inferno was one of the greatest. So I went ahead and rewatched Towering Inferno, and the revelation for me, I mentioned before that for the most part, these famous people – I didn't really see the appeal. I guess I wasn't really around to see their career trajectories. It didn't mean much to me. There wasn't a lot of resonance with the supposed star power because at the time, Towering Inferno, jam-packed with star power. Mm-hmm. But I watched the movie and was expecting it was going to be a laugh. Towering Inferno was kind of good, Kelly Wand. I remember watching it with this girl. We kind of like turned it on just for a minute to make fun of it, and then we kind of yeah. grossed in it. And then we were like, hey, let's try Earthquake. And then it was totally lame and boring. And you oh, so it does. So Towering Inferno might then be an actual good Irwin Allen disaster movie. Maybe you want to check out Poseidon, which is the other one everyone kind of I think Poseidon is laughable. I, have, I like I, the airport movies, though, too. Even before airplane. See those again. Uh, but Towering Inferno holds up for a few reasons. Um, so I saw several months ago there was a, a Korean – it's not officially a remake, but it has so many of the same plot points. Um, there's a Korean movie called The Tower, which has a lot of cool CG effects where this you know uh, this this tower catches fire. And in this movie – It's burnt still. 
It, it burns still, and in this movie, this is you know very post nine eleven movie. They make it's it's a twin tower that they invent as being in Seoul. Uh, one of them collapses, and it's totally imagery of the of nine eleven. One of the twin towers going down, uh, and they have all this crazy CG, and they have the same plot points where they're blowing water tanks on the top of the floor, uh, and they're trying to like get across to another skyscraper. All those same kind of things are in there, um, but it's a Korean version. It's a horrible movie. Um, Weird, crazy Korean overacting, which I didn't understand. It's a mm. cultural thing, I guess. But great, but, but great CG. So, <laughs> Tower Inferno, by the way, in comparison, I mean, t- the the special effects really don't hold up. It's kind of quaint, really. When they show a miniature a view up of the tower and they've got little flames coming out of some of the windows, it's a little adorable. And part of it is, too... Again, post 9/11, you know, we unfortunately know what it looks like when a tower is burning and is going to collapse. So when you just see this model with the cute little flames sticking out of a few of the windows, it, it doesn't have much impact. Uh, back then, maybe, oh, that's horrific. Um, however, what does have impact, and what surprised me, um, there were times when people would fall out of a window, or uh, there's, a, there's a there's a moment early on where where Robert. Robert Wagner. That's all they can do because the fire's not good enough in effect. Robert Wagner and his secretary, who's an actress I looked up named uh, uh, Patricia Flannery. Uh, She's like a soap actress, and she was like one of the kind of famous people in in Italian Inferno. Uh, They're they're having a tryst, and she is his secretary, and they don't want anyone to know that they're having a tryst. So they go back. Pardon? Well, they're about to die, and they're still like, okay, we got to keep this. No, going. no, before the before the fire before the tower catches fire, uh, you know, people are leaving, and there's going to be a party on the top floor. They're going to have a, uh, and so Robert Wagner shows up uh, at the end Can of the I- day, and he's like, uh, Mrs. So and So, I need you to come into my office and take dictation. Um, oh, she's married too. I don't know if they're married. They just don't. Or Mrs. So and So, so like she's married in your little. Maybe he says Miss. I don't. I didn't. I, Kelly, one, I don't recall Stop. minor okay. points of who's married or not. I don't think it's an affair because they're they're both supposed to be sympathetic. I think they're both very they're both available, but they just want to be discreet. So he pretends that he needs her to take a letter after hours. So they go into the office, and then later we we they're like smooching and making out, and they're in love with each other, and they're very affectionate, <laughs> and it's very tender. But then the, the the tower catches fire, so he's turned off the phones. So. He doesn't want anyone to know they're in there, but then when he the tower catches fire and he opens the door and he sees there's fire everywhere, he's like, oh, crap, the tower's on fire. We can't call the, the firemen to come rescue us now. You know, we're trapped. And they wait for a little bit, and smoke starts getting in, and the flames are getting closer. And Robert Wagner, who, by the way, very dashing fellow, I can maybe see the appeal there, uh, he puts um, a wet towel over his head, and he's going to be, I'm going to, you stay here, I'm going to run and get help. <laughs> and he opens the door, and there's a moment where he turns around to look back at her, and he's got the towel, towel over his head, and he looks like a Russian grandma. It's kind of cute. I think it's unintentionally funny. You know, he gives her the meaningful glance. And then he goes out, and he runs across the burning uh, area and promptly catches fire and dies. Uh-huh. <laughs> what? I know. He had a towel on his head, so he should have been fine. <laughs> you would think. So, And she sees this. You know, the man. No! It's, it's right. really kind of horrific. So, And now, furthermore, there's no one to rest. Rescue her. So the flames are getting closer. They come into the room. The room is burning. It's smoky. She can't breathe. She goes to the glass window. She breaks it with a chair, and it causes all the air to rush out of the room with fire. And this poor woman gets blown out of this 
skyscraper, you know, 100 floors up in the air with flames. Not only does it blow her out of the skyscraper, it catches her on fire first. Uh, so there's this close-up shot. She totally failed at everything. They both did. It's, it's, the, the, insult to injury. It's a really grim piece of the movie. Cause the sex these, I ever had, though. So the, the funny thing is, though, it's a close-up <laughs> shot of... of a, <laughs> I have no idea what Tom's topic is still. He's like 10 minutes into the set. <laughs> I regret nothing! <laughs> That's Where At any rate, it's, it's a close-up shot of a, of a stuntman. So the idea is she can't breathe, so the stuntman is holding a hand over his face. So when she goes out the window, it's a guy in a burn suit. He's holding a hand over his face. There's a wig on him. It looks awful. At any rate, it, it's grim. So I, I just want to say there's a few moments in Tarion Inferno where somebody falls, and my reaction, and I even said this out loud at one point, was, no! Like, I didn't want that person to die. Um, They're so sympathetic, you said, even though they kind of caused it all. But go on. No, no, Richard Chamberlain caused it all, and he he gets yeah. a pretty grim death, uh, and he deserves it. He falls, by the way, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so uh, at any rate, there, there are these horrific falls in Tarion Inferno, and... <laughs> They're, they're generally stuntmen or a dummy dropped from a great height. and But they're still, because of the story, if you're into the story, and Tyrion Inferno was surprisingly effective. You're like, oh, I didn't want that person to die. It's terrible. He's not only falling, but he's burning. This is awful. Um, so then I, I couldn't help but think of how we did that in Die Hard, where we see Alan Rickman falling backwards. It's a it's slow motion. We can see his face. We see how far he's going to fall. You know, our, our horrific fall technology has come a long way. So what I want from you guys are your favorite costume changes? <laughs> your favorite uh, horrific falls? I'm Jesus Christ! What? Top of the table. Terry. That rivals my explanations. I'm so happy you did that. Really? Well, it's just what I made. Mean. It's and there was a horrific fall, by the way, in in uh, Iron Man three. You know, the people sucked out of the airplane. There's one that traumatized Tony Stark in the Avengers. Well, you know, maybe that that I'm taking off the table. If you want to use Iron Man three, go for it. But I'm the only things I'm taking off the table are Tarion Inferno, which has three horrific falls, and Die Hard, which has one iconic horrific fall. Do they have to go down, <laughs> or can they go sideways? Let's uh, go to winter. Um, I think Kelly Wan is one. That but, Iron Man three thing made me sick almost. It's, it's horrific. That's why I'm using the adjective. Not terrific. <laughs> Thanks, Kelly. Just making sure you understand. Don't even miss, miss here, Tom. So, Horrific Falls. Yeah, Horrific Falls. Come on. Wait, okay, I'm sure nothing might come to mind for you now, but just think about it. Movies are full of people <laughs> falling. It's a terrible thing. It's a universal fear. It's a primal fear. Come on. And Paul Bettany has a great line about it in uh, Margin Call, which I invite everyone to watch. But falling is something we all think about, and movies know that. And, and as you think about it, you will think, oh, yeah, this movie had it. Oh, yeah, that movie. Don't give me any examples. Right now, Kelly Wand. Uh, I have a question. Uh, don't, don't. Should I not field it, Dingus? Kelly Wand, I, I, ask me the que- Ask me every other word in the question. Okay. Uh, landing matter. <laughs> Kelly Wand. <laughs> the, the topic is simply horrific falls. You are going to have to do what you will. Is that every other word too? Is there as far as extrapolating. <laughs> On the name of the topic. Horrific but awesome falls. <laughs> uh, if you want to participate, if you're listening uh, and you can think of some horrific falls, think about it over the course of the week. We would love to hear from you. Please send in your picks to 3 by 3 at quarter to 3com That's the number 3, the letter X, the number 3, at, and then spell out 
quarter2three.com. Uh, we would love to read them on the air. Uh, next week, what do you guys think? <laughs> let's not do anything. I'm pretty psyched. I feel oh, yeah. we shouldn't be. How about the Gatsby? No, this one's great. Horrific Gatsby's. Uh, no, next week we'll be seeing the Great Gatsby. I'm, I, as I said, uh, no, <laughs> not me. Uh, and as I said, I think I want to have sex with the trailer. Even after you read the book, how'd you feel about the preview, though? Uh, I did not watch the preview. I, I watched the trailer a few times a few months ago, and I've since stopped watching the trailer. Hopefully, I've forgotten everything in it. We'll see. Um, <laughs> the book's yes. not a spoiler at all. You're going to be really surprised. I, I, I sort of feel like in it. Well, we'll talk about it more. But this okay. is it, this is a, a movie. This is a Boz Lerman adaptation. It is not an F. Scott Fitzgerald book. Oh, so it's like Benjamin Button, which was a Fitzgerald story. <laughs> Dingus loves that movie. I know. Though. I know. Favorite David Fincher. He watches it backwards so he can watch it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So join us next week for our picks for and your picks, hopefully, for horrific falls. And a discussion of The Great Gatsby. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Mildinsky, I think it is. It's Murawski. And Kelly Wand. Horrific without a W at the beginning. La la la. La la la. La la la. La la la. La 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 Is this heavy metal, please? Kelly Wan, I could tell from your singing that you probably toured with Sammy Hagar. Yeah, I was right. That lighter thing, I... This movie podcast is brought to you by Grown Ups 2, Inner Tubier. I actually think I need to sleep now, sir. So Honestly, I hate working here. These guys are so weird. <laughs> oh, it's good. These guys are so weird. I forgot that. that <laughs> <laughs> we saw that two days ago.